One day I was in Horsham, the next minute I was a commander training centre Warrens at Limpstone and it just turned, that was when it all, my whole life, my whole world just got turned upside down. How it all just, that whole nice world stopped. And it's the hardest military training in the world, the hardest and longest military training in the world bar none. There's a, there's a joke in the War Marines, they say, when you join the War Marines, they take your brain away. Yeah. When you finish the War Marines, they say, do you want your brain back or do you want the chunky watch? And I've got the chunky watch. <laughs> so some of us were uh, held behind. No choice, they just said, that, you know, you, you guys can't go. But then an opportunity came up whilst they were all getting ready to go to Northern Ireland as a, as a part of a, sp a small special unit. I served in Ireland and I had a very interesting tour over in Northern Ireland. But the upshot of it was, is when the guys came back, I then went down as part of a small team to the Falklands, doing something a bit special down there after the conflict. Yeah, yeah now people still losing their lives. There were still bombs going off. Um, not as bad as like the early 70s where it was horrendous, but it was still bad. And um, we heard a shout, get down to Exwick Lane. There's a pub down there, there's a bloke running around with knives trying to stab people. It got down there. By the time we got out to get our body armour out, he was upon us already. Straight away I pulled my weapon out and I just I just remember saying to this bloke, you, you know, if you come in, you're going to die. If you come in forward, you, we're going to shoot you. Wow. But that's the closest ever we would have got it. And of course Nick would have fired at the same time. Hello and welcome to episode two of Talisy Talks. My name is Talisy May and in this episode you're going to be either watching or listening to me have a conversation with Martin Matthews. He's come on this podcast to talk to me about his journey and where he grew up, how it all started out for him and he talks to me about the process of him being in the Marines and how that transitioned to be going on to firearms police and then in the security industry. Martin tells some amazing stories on this podcast and he also touches on a book that he's been writing over the last couple of years which he's looking at launching soon. Before we get into this podcast, I'd really appreciate if you could subscribe to either the YouTube channel or follow the podcast on any streaming device that you're listening to this podcast on. So if you listen to it on Apple or Spotify, please make sure you hit the follow or subscribe button. And if you're watching on YouTube, please make sure you subscribe to the YouTube channel and give this video a like. Here's episode two of Talisy Talks with Martin Matthews. Right, Martin, yeah. welcome Hi. to the podcast. Thank you, cheers, Joe. It's been a while. We've been trying to, well, how long have we been trying to sort this out? A few weeks, really. Few weeks, yeah. What with one thing and another, sort of. I've been busy. Together. You've been busy trying to pin it down. I've been struggling with location as well. That's my problem. Is you're trying to find somewhere to do it, but I just decided in the end. You had somewhere else. You got somewhere else as well, haven't you? I had somewhere else, yeah, to do it from, but um, I don't know. It's just relying on other people. It's timings and stuff like that, isn't it? It's really difficult to to pin down people at certain times and get a get a place that's you're suitable busy, for it. Well, you're busy. Yeah, and our evenings and stuff. Not everyone's free in the evenings. But finally, great to have you on. I'm looking forward to seeing and nice, hearing nice some of the stories. Nice to be here, mate. Nice yeah, it's been a while, hasn't it? So we've met through Mild Unit. You used to do some work for... Forklist. Yeah. For what was that about? So, a year or so ago? Well, no, it's, it's pre, pre-pandemic. pre What, where you was... Oh, since we've known each other? Yeah, since we've known each other. It's got to be 18 months, about nearly that. two years. Yeah, yeah it is. So I gave up my unit in March. I don't know whether you were still doing some work there. Um, or not. On, off. Uh, was I March? Yeah, just about finished. Yeah, yeah just about finished. Then, yeah. So I met you through through yeah the old unit where I used to work. You used to do some security teaching. Was it there at that so point? So I'm uh, a security trainer at the moment. 
but I was also at the time when we first met, I was the manager of that particular security company. So uh, not only in the training, which I only do uh, one week of every month, yeah. uh, I was also running that as their manager. So it just, it just fitted with, with a sister company. Yeah. So it worked really well, yeah. Yeah, that's how we met. It was um, along that time where we did sort of speaking and I was working and stuff, you did say a few stories and stuff. And I always thought that you were quite an interesting guy because obviously we just spoke then off camera. You've had, well, ex-military background, ex-police background mm. and ex-security background. Yeah, yeah, all, yeah, all so good. I can imagine you've although, got although there's something like, they're different, there aren't, there's, there's a natural transition and it's like a, um, not all about uniform, but that background just carries it nicely from one to another. Yeah, really. definitely, yeah, 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 definitely. So before we get into the security side of it and just talking a little bit about the career that you've had, let's go back right to your roots where you sort of oh, grew up wow. and where it started. So, I was born in 1962, mate. Yeah. Where were you in 1962, yeah? <laughs> So, my dad, yeah, my dad was born in 1955, <laughs> so, yeah. so um, I, I was born uh, in a place called Horsham, West Sussex. Yeah. So if you drew a line uh, right from the centre of London to Brighton, I'm right in the middle. So I had a lovely, uh, the childhood was great, we had Brighton and we had London. So um, sometimes my accent becomes more London, depending on where I am, but generally it's home counties. So I went to school in Sussex, uh, which is only sort of uh, 25 miles away from uh, Horsham. So great, you know, my upbringing, one of six children, uh, four boys and two uh, sisters. Um, yeah, I just went to school and I'd, I had my career all lined out. I wanted to be uh, an architectural drawer. I was always good at drawing, you know, with the... Quite creative. Uh, well, not creative, but the technical drawing, you know, I don't know what you do at school now where you're sitting in front of these big boards with big rulers and you draw straight lines and buildings and stuff. I enjoyed that and that's what I wanted to do. And uh, I was always quite a bit of a lad, um, good at sports, uh, and just a bit gobby really, if you like. And then it literally was, mate, I, I can't lie to you. My father used to buy the Daily Mirror newspaper and then, and I, I read it after you read it, and I remember a big paper to this day, a big advert, and it said, um, do you think you're Jack the lad? Do you think you're, you're a bit of a boy? We don't think you're a bit of a challenge. Yeah. You know, try it, join the Royal Marines. And I remember saying to my father about it, and he said, don't bother, mate, because he says they're, 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 they're nutters. They're absolutely mad. And of course, then we didn't have the internet. We didn't have mobile. I didn't anything like that at all. And uh, I just decided that's what I wanted to do. And that was it. Went down to careers office in uh, 1978, straight from school. I decided not to sit any of my exams. And uh, so I joined joined in 1978. So what age was you then? 16. 16. And of course. So was that straight from school, was that? Yeah, so yeah. so I'd never, in those days, you know, we, there weren't such things as holiday. I'd never flown, I'd never left home, never done anything at all. And then, you know, I had a really good social group of mates down there at the time. And I just lifted and shifted. One day I was in Horsham. The next minute I was the commander training centre of Warrens at Limstone. Wow. And I remember, um, uh, so I'd pass all selection within the, the careers office. And uh, I remember turning up and uh, at the front gate at Limstone with my mother. My mother, unfortunately carried my case for me to the main gates and I was met by one of the training team 
and um, he sort of greeted, he said, hello, Mrs. Matthews. She said, oh, this is Martin, and he sort of sarcastically said, hello, Martin, you all right? I said, yeah, thanks very much. And as she went, and it just turned, that was when it all, my whole life, my whole world, just got turned upside down. And you try to explain now, um, I can't, how it all just, that whole nice world stopped right. at that point. And and thirty two weeks of was it beast and horrible, horrible. It? I mean, don't forget as well. Nineteen seventy eight. There, there, were, there were no there were no um, niceties. Uh, there was no diversity. There was no uh, people you could turn to. It was absolutely from that minute. Imagine. Can I swear? Yeah, you can swear. Yeah. I remember my mother. Uh, I won't mention the instructor's name, he's still alive. <laughs> We're on Facebook friends actually. And he's probably I, watching I, this. Yeah, so I remember him saying, he was very smart. I remember looking at him, he's immaculate. You know, the covered in green beret, which is, you know, 32 weeks, um, you've got to go for it. And uh, put the case on the floor. My mum walked across the famous bridge back to the car park. And he turned around and he says, right. Martin, put that fucking case on your head. Okay, so I picked it up, put it on my head, and he then ran me right through the marine camp, all the way down to the accommodation, up and down the hill. So I was sweating and uh, got into a, a classroom full of about, at that time, at the end there were 55 of us, but at the time there were people all shocked as I was, yeah. sat in the room, people from all around the, all around the country. Bear in mind, I'd never left Sussex, so for the first time I heard Geordie accents, Yorkshire accents, Scottish, Welsh, and we were all just saying, what the hell are we doing? <laughs> and then that was it. And then from that minute on, it was just hell. Was it really? Yeah, I can imagine. So what was your like, expectations of it? At, at 16, going into it, what did you think? <laughs> like, I, I didn't know what to think, really. When I look back at it, I suppose at the time, if you'd asked me, I could turn around and say, it was to do A, B and C, but at the time I, I didn't even know what they did. I just knew they were the best of the best of the best. And of course, that's what I wanted to do. Uh, I, I was looking at other people that were honed right up, you know, some of the Welsh boys, big units. Yeah. And although I was a big lad, I wasn't a unit as such. And, th you know, saying what, what had they done to train for it? And I'm hearing the running across the beacons and, and I hadn't done none of that. <laughs> I just, I, one minute I was, you know, playing football regularly and doing sports to this, and they trained for it, and of course, nothing. And then, of course, then there was no gentle feeding you into it. It was just straight in. Bosh. Yeah. So they sort of had a head start because they were. Oh, I don't know. I don't know what, how they did it. Whether they knew people, but I didn't know anybody. Um, so yeah, that was it. Just so no one in your family was from that background. Uh, no, my, my father. My father. Had a bit of military service, but was injured. But and my, his his brothers had served during the war. Don't forget, you know, I was born 17 years after the Second World War. So any any um, military experience would have been from the Second yeah, World War. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So and most of those people had passed away or were very old. So <laughs> I don't even know what going. But there you go. You know, just and at 32 weeks, you know, it's the hardest military training in the world. The hardest. Imagine and longest military training in the world, far none. I can imagine. But I didn't know that, see, so, 
So you've seen this advert in this paper, but probably glorified what it was. It's a challenge. Yeah. It's like you, you know, you, you, you're good at what you do, and it's like somebody saying, um, it's like someone doing a podcast and saying, oh, I've heard of this unit down in, uh, down in Devon, doing it, and they're not good. You rise up to it, don't you? Yeah, 100%. And it's, it's, it's like someone hit me with wet fish. Yeah. Say, you know, we don't think you're good enough, and I know I'm good enough. Well, I didn't at the time. Yeah. And then, yeah, joined with the 55 in September 1978, ready for 32 weeks. So what did you go in, because I don't quite know how it works in military, do you have a, like a role that you go in for, or is it a case of just going and figure <laughs> it out? Well, yet again, so if you went to the careers office now, so you, you can join either the Royal Air Force, the Royal Navy, or the Army, they're the three, the three uh, parts of the, the armed services. So the Royal Marines are technically part of the Royal Navy. So your, mili your military law, your discipline, your drill, how you, how you march is all Royal Navy as opposed to the Army. So um, in training, why the Royal Marines are so good is because you all do the same. Uh, you're all based at the Commando Training Centre, whereas, excuse me, in the, in the Army, if you're going to be a driver, you're, you're logistics, so you go to this barracks. Yeah. If you're the guards, you go to this barracks. It's all different, whereas all Royal Marines go to the Command and Training Centre Royal Marines, and all the officers uh, also train there, but they're, the difference between the Royal Marines officer and a recruit or a junior Marine, which is what I was, is that the officers have to do a little bit quicker, a little bit longer, a little bit faster. Yeah. But you know that the officer that's produced at the end of it, you'll follow him anywhere. Yeah. 100%. And that's the idea. And yeah, you, you just join as a, depending on your age, I don't think it happens now, but because I was at 16, technically, you know, I can't fight in a war because I'm not old enough. Mm. Uh, but obviously at the end of the 32 weeks, I think I joined at 16 and a half, so at the end of the 32 weeks, I would have been old enough. You just go into it and just bash straight yeah. into the training. So you, you, your syllabus is there and you've got to do it like everybody else. It's mad that you're 16 going into that. You can't even get 16 year olds out of bed at the minute. And you're well, signing said, up I, to that for 32 well, weeks. You know, I, I said to my son the other day, who's 21, I said, you know, um, um, 22 actually. I said, at your age, mate, I'd been in the Royal Marines for six years. So in six years, I, so that would have been 1994. I've been to Norway twice. Uh, I've been to Northern Ireland. It's crazy. And, uh, and at the time, Northern Ireland was live. Was a war. It was live. Yeah. yeah. It, was, it was. Uh. It was. It was the only really regular operational deployment for anybody. You know, mm. and it was bad. Yeah, I, I do. I listen to other podcasts and stuff, and there's some people that go on and talk about like some of the stories that they faced. Yeah, yeah. Like Northern Ireland and stuff. I it was pretty tough. I mean, more difficult about Northern Ireland because the only difference between uh, uh, someone from Northern Ireland and me was the accent. Mm. How we dressed, what listen, what we listened to, what we did, where we went, the cars we drove, were exactly the same. Mm. All about religion. Crazy. Yeah. So yeah, that was it. And then I, I, I did my uh, Royal Marines training, uh, and I think out of the fifty-five of us, fifteen finished. Wow, so 55 you started at, on the week one? On day one, week one, uh, I think it's right, 55 started. And I, if I remember correctly, 15 of us finished. Wow. So few, in fact, 
that to pass out, to make it monetary worthwhile, we had to join up with another troop who had also had, had lost loads to form um, uh, another troop. Wow. 55 to 15, that's a huge difference. Mm. Huge difference. Mm. Was it injuries, just mentally and... Everything. Yeah. What, what, what you're going to think about is, 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 is where, where it's difficult, you can be as fit as you like. If you're, if you're fit and you train a lot, you need food, mm. you need sleep. And when you're not getting that, you, you don't, you're not as strong, you're not as fit. But equally, it's, it rolls... It, I was thinking on the way here how best to describe it. So if you imagine, think back in what you do. You think back on one of the days when you've been so tired, mm. so tired, when you work, I don't know, 12, 14, 16 hour days. You finish and you think, so what, I'm gonna go home. And someone says, no, Todd, you're not going home. You're gonna work another eight hours, but harder. So if, you, if I give you an example, I, I was at an Arctic, so I went to 4-2 Commando, which is um, an Arctic unit in Plymouth. And what it meant was within, within the Royal Marines, you have units especially uh, uh, trained to work in the Arctic, because then the threat was from Warsaw Pact, Russia, and that sort of, yeah. uh, over that sort of the Arctic Circle. So you trained, so pre-deployment to Norway, pre-deployment to Norway where we trained, We'd go to the Brecon Beacons and do um, Wales to do mountain training. Yeah. And then we'd go to Norway, and the first couple of three weeks we learn how to ski. And think, people think that's really, really nice. No, it's not. It's skiing on wooden planks, and then on top of you, they put the weight of another person. You're, you're, I, think it's, I think the weight sometimes became seven or eight stone and skiing. But not just skiing, skiing 25 kilometres, wow. 30 kilometres. So you've had a hard day, you then ski to where you're going to be um, camped out. And they might say, all right, you're going to dig a snow hole. The snow hole takes 11 hours to dig. So it's relentless. And at the same time, you're trying to get yeah. all this food inside you. How much do you reckon is physical and how much do you reckon is mental? Because it must be like, you could be as physically fit as you possibly can, but surely if you're not mentally there, if I, if gonna... I, if, So in training, if I, if I you know, I, I like to think I've got, you know, I'm pretty tough-minded up here, yeah. and it takes a lot. I don't think there was one person who didn't break. And what they'll do is they'll, and don't forget, we'll come on to it, I then, in my later service, I was a trainer. Yeah. So having been through all that, I then, turned it on its head and decided that I wanted to be an instructor. So I knew from the other side, and what you do, you break people right down and you break everybody. Yeah. Everyone breaks, everyone has a breaking point. And when you've done that, that's when you then bring people up. Right. So what you've got to do is, is there's, a, there's a joke in the Warm Rings, they say, when you draw on Warm Rings, they take your brain away. Yeah. When you finish the Warm Rings, they say, do you want your brain back? Or do you want the chunky watch? And I've got the chunky watch. <laughs> so it's, they just break you right down. But the idea behind it is, and why they're such an elite, is they will do anything. Yeah. Because they've been there, they've been tired, they've been hot, they've been hungry, and they know that you can go on. It's amazing. The body's an amazing thing. Mm. And when you think it's at its end, it's not. There's a lot more to go. And that's all they do. They try and find that 
that little bit that goes on a bit further. Yeah, 100%. Well, I do often think it's probably like more mental than what is physical sometimes. Yeah, I like... you ask that question about what, what is it. I probably, it's probably, it, it's probably 60-40, or probably even 50-50. Because without, without the physical, you can't do it. You know, exactly, there's only so yeah. much you can do. Yeah. But your mind has to tell you you can do it. Yeah. And that's the difference. It's like you've got to be extremely resilient. You've got to be extremely resilient. I think the secret, the way that I... It's never going to go on forever. So you watch these programmes like SAS Who Dares Wins, mm. which, you know, is what it is, isn't it? It's entertainment. But the difference is there, it's never going to last 20 or 30 days. You know it's only going to be a day and it's over. So when they do the interrogation, for example, it looks savage and it is savage, but you know there's going to be an end to it and mm. no one's going to die. Mm. So, you know, when you see him placing on the railway track and you hear a train coming to try and get information, no one's going to run over you, but you're so tired, you're so exhausted, uh, it, you know, you think it's going to happen, so you'll give that information and that's why, uh, that's what happens. It's the, yeah, that's different. As they'll try and play it to what as well as they can, but obviously there's limitations to what they can and can't do. Whereas you in that situation, being in the Royal Marines or anyone else in the military, it's got no, the, the, the way that they respond to that is going to be completely different. Mm. It's quite interesting mm. that. So the 30, 32 weeks, you say? 32 weeks. 32 yeah. weeks. What yeah. was that like in terms of, so you would do five days on, two days off? Or was it seven days? Seven days. 24-7, seven, seven days a week. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What yeah. about like going out then and stuff? Because you always hear these mad <laughs> stories about people going to the pubs and stuff like that. Right, so so it has it has changed, uh, you know, and it always causes... Uh, I went to the Remembrance Day uh, the, the last Sunday. Yeah. And uh, there were some guys there that I hadn't, se I hadn't seen for, oh, wow, 30 years. And they wow. were there, and it was like, a, a, you know, fellow ex-Royal Marines. And we were talking about it, and it's that um, it, the world changes, and it has to change. I understand yeah. that it can't be like it was. It can't be as draconian. And we all say, "Oh, in our days, it was harder." Yeah. Because when when you joined up, you couldn't just turn around and say, "Oh, I've had enough. I want to leave." Oh, bye. Or or I'm finding this a bit hard. I need to do this. No. It was straight in at the deep end, um, and then the dates might be wrong, but I think you, you get to week 15, and so you, in, in my day, you never went out, you never, um, you never didn't go out. Didn't let your no, hair down at all? No, no, not at all. And it was interesting as well, this is a true story. They used to encourage you to drink lots of tea and coffee, lots, drink tea, drink tea. And there was a element I would have. Well, <laughs> there was a peculiar smell. And bear in mind, when you're on exercise, um, they were in these like heated containers, and you think it's probably the plastic, you know, the heated yeah. containers. But it wasn't, it was bromide. And what bromide is, it's a suppressant to keep down your manly wants, if you like. Really? Yeah, 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 yeah. So that, that's what I. You know, that's what the smell was, you know, you drink loads of tea, but in It's like this, a drug then, or something like that, was it? Or? I've got to be careful. It's not a drug, no, it's just, um... Uh, people, will people will deny it, you know, but... Uh, yeah, I, I, I'll, I'll tell you, I, I, it's... Uh, <laughs> because if you've got, you know, don't forget, at 16 or 17, you, you, you're getting to the end of puberty, your hormones are out of the So you're prime. 
you're, you're primal, yeah. you're animal instinct, innit? Yeah. But you can't have that because you don't have that luxury of a girlfriend or, or, or a partner or whatever it is. So they had to suppress it and that's, that's what they did. That's mental, isn't it? Somebody will watch this and say, oh, that ever happened. Yeah, it did. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. Completely different time. Well, though, ask yourself, well. you know, you, just, you, you know, you know, you know, you, you haven't been part of that, so you know what what your feelings were. Well, you imagine that. So you're you're in a you're in a um, a barrack room. Um, I think uh, I don't know if it's changed yet, but certainly uh, I don't know. Maybe uh, twelve guys to a room, no privacy, uh, toilets wall. There, it's just. The living conditions. But that, looking back, I can't remember ever getting. No, just no. Never really get any sort of time out or. No, you, there was no time out. There was no time out. There was, it, it, it was just relentless. So, it was, so the amount of times you'd be eating your meal, um, at, at lunch, in the canteen. So most of the time you're spent out the back. If you're not, you're in the in, in the uh, training centre eating, and you ate like horses. Mm. You know, a table four of you, demolished two loaves of bread. Just shocking what you would eat. I can't, yeah, I dread to think what you even was given for food back in them days. Oh, it's good food. Was it? But it was, but it was all stodge. So, you know, your breakfast, your main meal was always a fried breakfast. And you'd have, you'd have a bowl, I don't know, eight, ten wheat of it, and you'd have a fry up, two loaves of bread, four, four or five cups of tea, and it bolting it down. Yeah. Like slurping it right down. Because you just burnt it all off, yeah. you know, as much as you wanted to eat, you wouldn't, you just burnt it all off. But, uh, yeah, so it's changed now because there, and also uh, recruits in training were not allowed out at all. Um, but they had, they had a, um, uh, a bar in the camp and um, at a certain stage, I think I don't know which stage you were allowed to do it, but they would bus in. It sounded terrible, but it wasn't. There were buses that would come out from Exmouth with women on board, girls, young girls, and they would go to the disco on the camp. It was all police. There was not, you know, I'm sure stuff was going on, but it was. Yeah. They would come out. I don't know how frequent it was, once a week or something like that. On a Saturday, I can't remember. And you'd have a bit of a disco. They'd get back on the bus, you wave, and they'd go, and that was it. But. Uh, but other than that, no. And then I think it was on about week 15, you, the first time you'd be able to go home, and you went home for a long weekend, like a Friday through to a Sunday. And the reason for that was to test you to see if you could go back to your luxuries of living at home with your mates and having a laugh and all that, to come back, come back to world of shit again. Yeah. And guys were coming back. So you'd come back on a Sunday evening, and on the Monday morning, they would ask you, do you want to stay or do you want to go? Mm. And you'd say, whatever. And I remember, excuse me, did I go home? I must have done, yes. So I had to go all the way back to Sussex, as did all the others go. Yeah. And I remember coming back and um, speaking to some really good friends, because at that point you'd been together for 15 weeks, you know, nearly, uh, nearly four months. So you knew everyone really well. Yeah. And you speak to mates, mates that you knew could do it on their heads, no trouble yeah. at all. And they're saying, I've had enough, I want to go. And you think, what? You, you, you'll breeze, you'll, you'll, you'll make an idea. You, no, I say, I've had a good weekend. And then you think, oh, what am I going to do then? But you had to make your mind up, and I decided to stay. And I saw some, to this day, I'd love to meet up with them, some real amazing people that would have absolutely been, been brilliant Royal Marines, but just didn't want it. 
That's crazy. Yeah. And you never saw them again. That's crazy, isn't it? Mm. They probably had the as well as the whole world at their hands, really, depending on what they went off. I, doing. I, you know, I struggled. I, I, you know, what was against me was my height, because some of the stuff you had to do, I was, I was, I was very good at yomping. So that phrase of yomping, you know, get a huge pack on your back and I could put my thumb up your bum, I could, you know, march yeah. all day. <laughs> and I wasn't very, very good at running. Um, but also, you know, some of the obstacles you had to go through, like the small tunnels. Oh, yeah. The, the, the people like your size, you get on it, you get through, yeah. but I struggled. And it was hard, so I had to work a little bit harder. But some of these lads were like racer snakes. You give them, they just, you know. I used to watch some of them, heavy smokers. I didn't smoke. Heavy smokers smoking like trains, and they'd run you off. Mental. Amazing. Yeah, but that's that how mental. it was. And some of these guys uh, left and never saw them again, ever. That's mental. What was your thoughts on when you went away for the first weekend? Did you, like, on your train back, say, was you like, yeah, I'm still going to do this? Or did you have doubts at that point, like probably what they did? Um, I think I told my, my parents that I was going to stick it. My father ha followed my progress a lot. Yeah. And um, I remember it, 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 he's, I said, it's really hard. And he said, well, no one's going to force you, but don't ever... When you think you've got, don't ever stop something because it, it, you don't feel it's right, then you'd always continue to look back. 100%, yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I, I think I just, I remember now that, that Sunday evening speaking to people and they're saying, I'm not even going to unpack, I'm going to go home tomorrow. I'm saying, why? Why are you going? And they said, but of course, they all went. And I think even the, even the training team thought, oh, bloody hell, we've lost quite a few here. Some good people as well. But straight back into it again. Yeah. So there was no sympathy, there was no empathy, that was it. And they said, they said something like, those wankers have gone now, let's get back into By it. The time you know it, you're straight back in. Straight back into it. And now you're thinking, have I done the right thing? Yeah. But you know what, it's, uh, I did it, I, I finished it. Um, I then, um, you know, that, that, that day, um, when you, you have your pass out, you covered your green beret, only 1% of people get it, Mad. and it's amazing, and my grandparents are there, my mother was there, my, the family was there, proud as, proud as punch, and they, they play, a, you march off, and then just, that's it, and you, you've already been told where you're going, so already I knew that I'd go home for, I don't know, what was a, a week or something, and then I'd go to my unit, and my unit was 4-2 commando, and that's when you're, you're trained commando, and you just get into commando life. How, so you must be pretty proud at that moment of doing that pass out with seeing the family watching and stuff. Mm. Oh yeah, absolutely. Emotional as hell, you know. Anybody that... Long 32 weeks. Yeah, long. Yeah. yeah. I remember I, I looked, I've got all my documentation, you, you have a booklet and all this, your discharge papers, but it, 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 it monitors your height and your weight. And I remember the drastic um, difference in height and weight from when I started to when I finished. It, and you could see that. And I remember in between, it would have gone down, but then towards the end of it, and towards the end of the training, you're getting, you're getting ready for your commando tests. So everything you do is for that final week where you do your commando tests. Right. And there, there's no, you fail it, you're gone. You fail it, so all that time, you've got to do all those commando tests 
What was the seven sort test? What do they include? So, um, you've got to do something which you've got to do um, uh, nine mile speed march. That's nine miles in 90 minutes with, with all the gear on, which is road running. Uh, you've got to do uh, a Tarzan assault course. You've got to do the endurance courses you might have heard about going across Woodbury Common. Yeah, I've done that actually. Well, there's nothing probably like compared to what yeah. it was like with you, but. Don't forget, you're doing, so each day you're doing a different um, Tarzan assault course. Uh, endurance course, the bottom field, uh, a gym test, and then it culminates. The, la the last day is your 30 miler, so that's eight hours, 30 miles straight across Dartmoor. So there's no, don't not on the roads. It's all across Dartmoor. So if you've been up to Dartmoor, that's that with I don't know what it is now, 27 pounds and a rifle or something like that. So the only way to get it in under eight hours, you cannot walk. You've got, to, you've got to run it, because if you walk it, you'll fail it. What, run the whole thing, or as in one walk? No, so the only time you walk is severe uphill, but other than that, it's, it's, it's jogging. It's you know, tough. Like jogging. Mm. Yeah, that is tough. It's like, it's, like, it's like going from here to Plymouth. Don't forget your weight on as well. But you're running across country. Yeah, that is tough. And you, the only time you stop, there's a stop midway where they give you a pasty. But you, you, it literally is, oh, and you're off again. Was these tests going across over a period of a week then, was it? Like, was it a few All days? All those tests is commando week. So I remember so my father had a, uh, um, uh, my mother and father had a, a list of the commando tests. And obviously, there are other things you test during training which are not part of the commando test. But there's lists. So as, as I did each one, I'd ring up. And in those days, it was a 10p phone, uh, phone box. It wasn't a mobile. And you'd ring up. Uh, 10p coin, a big queue of people behind you. <laughs> yeah, Dad, I've done the nine mile. Well done, son. Tick. <laughs> Tick it off. And that's all I have to do. Tick it all off. It's mental. You don't even think about stuff like that either. Like, no. Not even being able to have a phone just to like. No. Call and, it. and and then um, in those days as well, uh, recruit training now is different. Um, what they wear is different. It's very lax. It's it's more. They're not, they're not trying to make this big, you know, that's a war marine recruit and that's a civilian. They, they try to merge. So you'll very often see them in town. They're wearing jeans and T-shirts. Unheard of in my time. You used to have to wear a blazer or a suit jacket, tie shirt. You used to have on you all the time a hanky and a 10 pence piece. A hanky was because you might need it for something. And a 10 pence piece always to make um, the telephone call. Wow. Always. And then when you, when you were um, towards the end of training, you were allowed to go out into Exeter and occasionally into Exmouth. Uh, you used to go up to the guard room, big queue of you, you'd go and you used to have to report, say your name was, and you used to have to request to, because um, it's naval term terminology, say, uh, Corporal I am P038005P, Martin, Ma uh, uh, Recruit Matthews, wishing to go ashore. He'll say, where's your hanky? Where's your hanky? Where's your 10 pence coin? There's my 10 pence. Where's your ID card? He'd look at you, and if it wasn't good enough, he'd say, no, you can't go, and that was it. So yeah. if he was in a particularly bad mood or whatever it is, you weren't going out, that was it. Wow. And you can't turn around and say, well, hang on a minute, you're gone. That's crazy, isn't it? So that, what, that allowed you to go out for the day, was it, into like extra yeah, or never, whatever? never you... the evening, yeah. You wanted to go shopping or something like that. But that was in, that was in the, that was, after week 15. Right, yeah. And even then, some days you weren't allowed because 
You couldn't yeah. go out on nights like go to the pub or anything like that. <laughs> no, no. no go to the pub. You, you no. see it now, like you see, it's completely different now. A lot of, there's a lot of um, a lot of trouble. There's a lot of bad rep, isn't there, with uh, military and going out and stuff. Yeah, like obviously that. I'm pro Royal Marines. You know, Royal Marines get wound up, <laughs> but I know, <laughs> you know, it's, it's you know, yeah, that's it way, isn't it? Um, all the girls want to go out in the Royal Marines, don't they? Yeah. <laughs> the the, the, uh, the civvies don't like it, but no, that's all, that's all it was. It's all changed. It's all changed. Still, the Royal Marines are the best of the best, 100%. Yeah. But it's not like it was. Mm, I think a lot of things are like that, though, aren't they? Everything's been sort of like, it's not, I can't really say it, but watered down as such, in a way. But I suppose they've got to comply with all of the rules, regulations, and keeping people happy and has stuff like that. Has it got to be like it, so I don't know, has it? Yeah, well, that's, yeah, that's suppose that's the question. Does it have to be like it? I mean, you're, you want the best of the best to be out there defending the country and stuff, and if they are watered down... Yeah, and of course you've got, a, you've got a lot of... Um, you've got, so a lot of the regiments now... A lot Two of the, mine. Just have a look at your microphone. Let's just put it up. There you go. There you go. Yeah, that's fine. Sorry. So a lot of the, uh, the regiments and that now are all trying to bring their, bring their levels up. Because, you know, historically, in my time, there were some regiments or battalions that weren't as good and you knew who they were. But now everyone's got a really good, you know, a good, yeah. um, a good, a good thing. Yeah, so it's good. So a question that I've got to ask is, how much was you want at that point, salary-wise? What was you sort of getting paid? Oh, remember? blimey. Well, I'd, yeah. Uh, can I remember exactly how much it was? Shocking. Um, in those days as well, you got paid in cash. And what you'd have, you meant a little a brown cash envelope that you'll see where it's got 10s, 20s, you know, that sort of thing? Yeah. So the money would be fanned out. So I want to say, I want to say £17 a week. I don't know why. So, and old money as well. Not Was that a lot of money back then in terms of like for the you never age? Spent, you, never, you never spent it, So you, you saved a lot, yeah. I didn't save any of it because when you did, <laughs> so when you had the opportunity because... You're you're down the naffy all the time eating chocolate. You're you're eating down there's, there's a uh, it's a legend legendary place called Dutchies, and what it is is a trailer. It was a little trailer then. It would cook beef burgers, chips, crap really. Yeah. And it was run by an ex Royal Marine uh, called Jim Holland, called Dutchies, passed now, bless him. And then subsequently run by his boys. And the trailer as time went on got bigger and bigger and bigger. But every evening it was there open up to the early hours, you'd be down there buying just gargantuan amount of rubbish. <laughs> burgers. I remember my, when I was in training, I used to like mushroom burgers. So a, a plain burger with mushrooms on top of onions, with chips, just get it down your neck, mate, with um, chocolate milk. <laughs> but uh, no, so... So that's stuff you used to have to buy, was it? Yeah, you used yeah. to have to buy it on top of that, but that's where your money went. Or you go down to Naffy, which is like the, uh, the military version of spa if you like or co-op yeah. and you just go down and you're just eating the uh, the naval terminology is nutty so anything to do with chocolate sweets is called nutty so you go down someone will say oh tal i'm going to the shop and get some nutty do you want some yeah give me some stuff so you go down and get chocolate and all you're doing is eating all the time you probably needed the energy all the stuff that you're so doing. the money would so you'd you'd the way you'd get paid you'd You'd be, uh, you'd get fed in outside your accommodation in, in three ranks. There'd be a pay clerk at a desk with an officer, with all your what, all the um, packets there, and he'd say, 
uh, like tout, you know, salute, say who you are. He'd give you the um, the envelope, which is open, but your money's fanned out like a fan, stapled, so you could count it. Mm. And you'd count it, thanks very much, go back in, and that was it. That's crazy, isn't but it? it was, it, I, I want to I guess, it, it, for some reason, £17, it might be even less than that. I wonder what that converted to in today's money. I know it's completely well, the money, now, but... the money. Uh, the, I don't think it's fantastic money now, but don't forget, in those days, you paid for nothing. Everything was so you had you had food on tap, which is free, accommodation free. Uh, just all you had to pay for really was your like your deodorants and your washing stuff. What about travel back home and stuff? Did you have to pay? No, for you that got sort you of got stuff? warrants for it. They oh, used did to, you? Yeah, you used to go to. They give you a little warrant. You go to the train station, give them a bit of paper, which is stamped, and they give you a warrant. That's and you, cool. I think you, I think you got three of them a year or something like that. So yeah, even you, even your travel was free. But I think that's all stopped. So it's just food. When do you reckon what? So now you've got to pay for what accommodation out of the so, salary that so you earn? No, I think now, um, I think now you've got to pay a, an amount towards the accommodation and all that and the food. So there'll be like a percentage that probably comes off your salary or uh, yeah, something, maybe. Yeah, it's gone before you even see it, but it's yeah. not a lot of money. Yeah, uh, just you like know a what? service it, fee type. Yeah, and, and it, 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 it is what it is. You know, the food the food standards have raised now. It's a bit more, it's, people always say it's rubbish, but if you just like um, basic food, it is what it is. It's mm. never going to be Michelin Guide mm. or stuff like that, but it's all right. It's good, not, yeah. I don't suppose anything about it is that much luxury, is it? Just give it down your neck. <laughs> yeah. you know, after stuff. that point of being out all day, you'd probably eat anything yeah. as well, wouldn't oh, you? mate, bread. Stuffing it with bread. Yeah. The loaves of bread, I'm looking now, I can, I can see it now. You'd have um, your counters of all your food and it's getting it all on there. And you get, and there's bread baskets, and you just get, grab hold of two loaves of bread. And I remember there as well, we didn't have butter, we had lard. Mm. Not lard, margarine. So you sit on a table of four and the bread was just, <laughs> just stacked right up and just doshing it down and then running off and ready for the next one just... that's mental yeah so after so you passed out after about passed two out. weeks I went to went, and... went to went to Fortu Commando which is in Plymouth did you have much of a break in between passing out and then going a week to that? a week uh, yeah literally. so I went home for a week or something and then uh, and then uh, straight in straight to Plymouth and then um, settled in got introduced or joined M Company any lads from the yeah, several, that? not a lot. A lot went to 4-5 Commander, which is in our Arbroath, Scotland, just because that's when they were needed. Uh, some people went into specialism. So uh, within the Royal Marines, you have what's called a GD Marine, which is just a normal Royal Marine, that's it, general yeah. duties. But you can specialise, you need clerks, you need signalers, you need chefs. So some people were what's called pinged, i.e. against their will, were said, you've got to be a clerk. Right. You could be a driver, but there are some people that that might have had something that might wanted to be a chef or might wanted to be a clerk, and you were asked through training, did you have any preferences? And I was very fortunate. I went as a GD Marine, so I just became uh, they call them a grav, is what it, what they're called, and you're just a, a Royal Marine, general duties. Uh, yeah, some guys uh, joined, some some went on special courses straight away. Um, different units, there was 40, 4245 at, at that time, or commando regiments, so lots of places you could go to, depending on what the requirement was. And then um, I got introduced to M Company, um, 
and that's it. I stayed with M Company. Um, so nothing was going on really. It was just a bit of. Um, what year was this? So that would have been. Uh, I joined M Company in 1979. So it would have been 1980. I was there. And then. Obviously, the Falklands, 1982. I was home at the time, uh, on leave, out on the piss. <laughs> and I remember coming back, my dad woke me up in the morning and said, uh, the police come around here last night. I said, oh, well, no bother was I. He said, no, he said, they've got a travel warrant for you, you've got to go back to camp. I said, why? He said, oh, they won't say. So I had to go back. So they back down to Plymouth. So what I remember is going to, no one knew, nothing in the news at the time. Um, I went to uh, Paddington train station and it was devoid, it was empty of everything but armed forces. And there were signs, you know, Plymouth this way or whatever it is, and you got on a train. And I remember saying to someone, what's happened? And they said, oh, some Argentinians have uh, invaded an island called the Falklands. I'd never heard of the Falklands. I thought it was off of Scotland, little Orkney <laughs> Islands. Everyone's the same. Mm. And we all thought, oh, by the time we get back to barracks, it'll be done. Little did we know. So we went back to our company lines. I got back to M Company. And when we got into the camp, it was just just like a, the, all, the, all the guns were out on the, on the vehicles. Just never seen anything like it. I think it got really real, I can imagine. And then uh, we were... So I went back to M Company. And... Um, So everybody was fell in on the parade square and the colonel said, uh, a guy called Nick Vox said, uh, this is what's happened, it's real serious shit. We're gonna go down and, uh, and, and, and sort it out. So M Company, stand to one side, everyone else go and get your kit ready. And this is over a period of days, obviously, but that's exactly yeah. what, and then uh, he said, M Company, we're gonna deploy straight away down to um, South Georgia because the Argentinians are down there, they've got a submarine down there and stuff like that. But some of us were uh, held behind, no choice. They just said that, you know, you, you guys can't go. Um, you've, got to stay, you've got to stay behind, which gutted. And I was one of those individuals. Mm. But at the time, still, we still thought it was nothing gonna happen. So I thought it's all right, I'm not gonna miss anything. Yeah. But then an opportunity came up whilst they were all getting ready to go to Northern Ireland as a, as a part of a, sp a small special unit. And I thought, oh, that'd be good, go there. So, yeah. so I went over to Northern Ireland, yeah. where these guys were traveling down south. And of course, whilst we were in Ireland, we heard about the conflict had really gone Tits bad. Up. So yes, I missed the Falklands, but I served in Ireland and I had a very interesting tour over in Northern Ireland. But the upshot of it was, is when the guys came back I then went down as part of a small team to the Falklands doing something a bit special down there after the conflict. Right. So I didn't see the actual uh, battle, if you like, or the war, but we went down um, doing some stuff down there afterwards. So it was all right. Yeah. It's okay. How long was you um, in Northern Ireland for? Six months. Six months. Mm. What was that like then? Like, like, like we pre uh, pre we were talking about it, and I, it, 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 uh, it's it's odd, and I think most people will tell you that it's it's you know like we got we got the terrible stuff that's going over in Ukraine at the moment, which is very similar. You have got Ukrainians fighting against Russians, who generally 
are the same sort of people. It's odd. You know, they're generally the language is generally the same, and that's like with Northern Ireland. You know, it's, that that the troubles in Northern Ireland be going over for over a hundred years, and it's about religion. And uh, it's just odd because you never knew who your enemy were. You had, you know, you had photographs, you had names, and you, you had things you had to go and do. But it was very difficult because patrolling in in bandit country is what it's called would be like patrolling in South Devon it's no different you see a cow it looks the same cow as if you're looking in Devon yeah. the houses are exactly the same the cars are the same all bar different number yeah. plates so it was a bit odd yeah I can imagine really and there's some terrible things went on over there really yeah, bad yeah I can imagine so what's the what's the military's role there was it to try and keep so in, initially I might be correct but initially um the, the British became involved because of um, sectarianism between nationalists and republicans. Um, so, uh, and Protestants and Catholics, basically. So when the British first went, excuse me, it was to safeguard the um, Catholics, right. who are the IRA, well, no, sorry. The IRA are pro-Catholic. Mm. So it's odd that we went over there to protect the um, the Catholics, but as the troubles went on, it was the Catholics against the British Army. Right. So it, it turned it turned a um, circle. Yeah, it was bad, but it was all about religion really, and and about um, not uh, not wanting to be ruled by the British, mm. which is what it was. So um, yeah. Was there something happening like every day there, pretty much, or was it? What was Shit. You, where was you based for them? Was you based so, in like a camp? I was part of a, a, a small team of, um, I think it was 16 of us or 18 of us. And we, we I don't know how much about it really, but we were, uh, um, we, were both, we were based in the cargo area of a ship based, over there they've got locks. Right. Inland waterlets, big, huge, great, look like huge lakes, massive, great things, and uh, which are fed by the sea. And there was a, uh, an abandoned, wasn't abandoned, it wasn't used, big uh, fishing boat. And we lived in the car, the cargo area had been done, and we moved at night, so no one knew we were there really. Mm. So, and then at night we'd come up and do bits and pieces, so it was interesting. What's can you talk about any sort of things that you get up to or, or got up to at that point? Yes, yeah, it's, it's no, it's just uh, um, yeah, just you, you're basically out there, you, you worked on intelligence. Mm. So, uh, what we would do is we would go from uh, that location at night, we would go to a land base, and it always changed. We could go anywhere within the province, and we so we were based really around Londonderry, which is pretty pretty shit place to be really, a lot of troubles going on. And we would go into um, uh, uh, a UDR, which is the Ulster Defence Regiment, or the RUC, which is the Royal Ulster Constabulary. They are the police and the military military branch of the, uh, of the um, Northern Irish. And we would stay in their buildings, um, under cover of darkness, if you like. I'm not trying to be secretive. I'm trying. I, I don't want to say too, but it just. And then we would go out at night 
and just go to addresses or um, um, intelligence gather. So we'd go and sit up somewhere. We set up road checks. So we'd go out. We had special uh, Land Rovers that we would go out to Land Rovers. We set up a VCP vehicle checkpoint, lay an ambush, stop a car, turn it over, check it, check the intel, and then just deal with it. Wow. Yeah. So what, what was you checking the cars for? Was it like bombs and all that sort of stuff? Anybody. Uh, guns and... More, more notable um, individuals that are known or that we need to find out. What was interesting as well is um, uh, the biggest ingredient over there uh, for the explosives and that was when IEDs improvised explosive devices were started to be used as homemade bombs yeah and what they used to use was fertilizer so what we try and do is we'd uh, work our way into farms un unnoticed and check to see because on the back of a, a, a fertilizer bag it will tell you the amount of or what the ingredients are in that and if it's above a certain amount you know that that could possibly be used for, for an explosive IEDs and stuff yeah that's mental yeah that's I, oh yeah i can imagine you've seen some stuff out there and it must be pretty sketchy being on one of them vehicle checkpoints and not knowing who's coming up i remember i remember once because uh, um, because they're very they're very very quick because obviously people talk and there are there are sympathisers with the people who are there to 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 combat, if you like. And if they saw you, they would quickly make a call to say there's military on that road. And obviously, um, they try and they try and uh, keep one step ahead. So they they'll there are a lot of culvert bombs over there. Culverts are the are the are the, are the water the tunnels that go under the road for water yeah. or to go. And what they would do, they'd put these bombs under the culverts and they'd wait with a command wire for ages sometimes for a unit to go over it Boom. and they'd detonate it to blow everybody up. So we'd have to check culverts and things such as that. So that's if, crazy, isn't if, it? They, if they knew that that's a particular route that's used regularly, they'd put a bomb under the culvert. And two guys or one guy would be sat maybe half a mile away with a detonator uh, with a command wire just waiting for a unit to cross and oh. then try and detonate. So it's all it's all trying to fight that off, really. So you're basically waking up every day, working every day, not knowing. You're walking into the unknown, really. Yeah, but you, what you've got to get to tell is, is that is what you... You hear it a lot. That's what you're trained to do. Yeah. And everybody wanted to go out and do it. There was nobody saying... Oh, everybody, you'd wake up in the morning, you train, you train, you train. So if you train for it, it's what you want to do. It's, it's, it, I can't explain it. To give you a buzz? 100%. Yeah. Every day. Yeah. Because as long as you put, in, put into practice what you were trained to do, then it makes the job easier. Everyone knows their role. You all had a particular role. You all knew. Uh, some people had different sort of weapons, and that's what their role in... in um, uh, in doing that was was uh, was for so you just trusted you never had to think everyone knew what their role was yeah automatic come automatically as well yeah how many you of you were in a team say again how many of you were in a team like so I think there were two eight man teams there if I remember funny enough uh, uh, um, one of the guys passed away recently a uh, suddenly 
and one of his relatives put a Facebook post up to say, oh, Taff's died. And I thought, Taff? And when I realised it, it's the guy had been in Ireland and I had a photograph whilst, whilst we were training for this particular role and it was his 21st birthday. Mm. And there's a picture of all of us, the whole detachment there. You'll have to send me that and I'll put it up on the mm. screen, if you can. Yeah, yeah, yeah I will do. And there's a picture of Taff Johns with the birthday cake, 21 years old. Wow. And the guy that put the post on Facebook didn't know that that existed. Wow. And Taff Johns was a big hard, strong Welsh guy, mm. you know, a great sense of humour. And it's, it's a great photo of us all before we went. I bet that was a proper blast and from the past. Yeah, 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 yeah. Nice to see stuff like that. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So um, what was it like? Did everyone get along in that team of eight? You could Yeah, you, you know, you, you fall out, you have fallouts, it's like everything else, when you're under pressure, but you can't afford to, you know, uh, you can't afford to carry that on. You need squashed. Mm. Done. But also, you you had good bosses, so the, like the corporals, we had the sergeant and, his, and the uh, uh, lieutenant, lieutenant. They all knew, so they would jump on it quick. You can't afford to have ill feeling. Right. Can't work like that. Mm. And because bootnecks, Royal Marines all work well together. Yeah. The thing is, as well, when you're in that sort of team environment, it's not like you're playing football with each other for ninety minutes and then it's done done at the end of the day. You're with each other probably twenty four seven, sleeping next to each other. You've got to get along, really. Because one bad apple in that group can have a massive impact on the rest of you guys. Morale. Morale is yeah, big. Yeah, 100%. And a lot of it, all same with the police, black humour. Black humour is is making a joke out of it in a really bad time yeah. helps. You find that, yeah. I still use it now, black humour. Yeah. People sort of say, really? Yeah, you've got to do it. Yeah. You've got to do that, it. Yeah, that's a difficult one, isn't it? Because at the minute, you've got, you've got to be so careful. So you've got to be careful who you joke around. and You've got to know who you're doing that with yeah. because, you, you know, you know, you can have black humour and it not be in the right place, not in the right environment, and somebody will jump all over you. Yeah. Now they will. Because if you look at um, Aunt Middleton, who used to do SSU Dad's win, he got cancelled off for having that dark humour. He was trying to, obviously... I don't know, he was joking to the people that was on there, the celebrities and the general public. Kicked and then he off. got kicked, kicked off. off. And yeah. he, he was he was the pivotal character. Yeah. Gone. Yeah, wiped straight out. Uh, yeah. Because he also done a like expedition with a few people and um, he was the same on that, but yeah, no one liked it. No one no one understood that. It, it, it's, you know, and I, I, I've seen a couple of podcasts with Ant where he, where you know he's he's had some real demons. He's mm. dealt with some real demons, you know. If you look at his childhood, you know, they say they say uh, um, with people that go to like the extremes, like with the parachute regiment, or the Royal Marines, or the SAS, or any special forces, nine times out of ten, they're they're running away from something. Yeah. Now I don't think. Oh well, I just it was a challenge. Um, but if you look at some of these people, especially now, it's like a distraction. Yeah. If you look at all the all the DS on the Who Dares Wins now. All of them got post-traumatic stress. Mm. All have got depression. Uh, some of them tried to take their own lives. And you mm. look at it, and you what? Well, that's 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 their way of combating what they did, yeah. uh, or how they felt. So, yeah, it's yeah. like a distraction that some people use, like overwork or be extra busy in whatever field they're in as a distraction from what they're actually running from. Mm. Yeah, but I do think that with that Aunt Middleton thing, he said the same about dark humour and stuff. But I think it's a very like military type thing which we've all got dark humour and, and don't forget he's an ex-bootneck as well mm. and um, 
was it Ant or one of the other ones? They not only did um, SAS, they did SBS as well. Yeah. You know, which... which yeah, a couple which, of them did, yeah. Yeah, so in my era, the only people that could do SBS were Royal Marines. You mm. never had. But now, uh, you don't join the SBS or SAS. Now you join Special Forces and you do the same training and then at such point you say, I want to go SBS or SAS. Yeah. And it, the cap badges all changed now, so... Yeah, it's still pretty, hard. Yeah, still I can hard. imagine. Yeah. Mm. But you found that the dark humour, the black humour was the best way to get yourself... I suppose making the best out of a bad situation and to have a joke is probably the best mm. the best way to do that. Banter. Yeah, yeah 100%. Banter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And everyone was on the same page and stuff like that at yeah, that point. Yeah, 100%. So come the end of the six months, coming up towards the end of the six months, what point did they say, right, you're coming out of um, Northern Ireland now? Was Did it get... You knew it, you had a date. When you started, you knew... You did it improve like, by that point? Or was, hey? it, was it improved by that point? Or was it just ready for another team to go in and take over? As we over? left, another team would come in. You work alongside each other for a couple of days and then you'd go and they'd stay. Right. And there, and there were... In that particular thing I had, there were two teams. There was one on that location and there was a, another team at another location. So, right. uh, yeah, it all, it all changed. And it was it was good, though. It was... It was um, how yeah. was Northern Ireland when you when you left it then after the six months? What was the position of, or the situation? What was it like at that point? Yeah, no, people were still losing their lives. There were still bombs going off. Um, not as bad as like the early 70s where it was horrendous, but it was still bad. And you still had to, you know, we were intercepting radio communications. We could hear people ticking, that is, uh, people watching. Mm. You could, Sometimes you could hear their radio conversations, you know, that I remember once uh, we were going into um, we were going into Warren Point on boats, really, really quiet. And it's, it was it was a busy Saturday night in Warren Point, so you could, it was a lot busy. But we were just going in the boats, and we intercepted a message. And what they what they what they'd be doing is from the bridges hanging down very strong fishing wire with barbed hooks on the end hoping to catch people as they come under the bridge. And then so you turn around and just come back. Bloody hell. But then, 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 but you're saying that to look, look at Iraq and Afghanistan, you know, just, just absolutely shocking. It's got worse probably. Ah, mate. You know, there's about to be some other conflict. Of course, I did the Arden thing and then um, came back, um, did some other bits and pieces, got promoted. Um, and then it got to the point where I was going to get promoted again to sergeant and I had to make a decision about whether you, then, because there's nothing happening, you could almost dictate where you're going to go. Right. And as, as I loved it, loved going to work and all that, did I want to continue that? And then I saw a poster up um, somewhere saying about the police were doing an open evening to go and have a look. They're recruiting heavily from the armed forces. Was you at Plymouth? Was you at Plymouth? No, I was at Limstone then. I, Limstone. I, I was at uh, I was a an instructor, so I turned full circle now, and I was taking recruits through at uh, Limstone. So you were doing the beasting, was that right? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I don't think I'd want you as my. No, well, do you know what? It is. It is. Tell. It's. It's. What's What's nice is when you pick them up, you're horrendous, and and as a team. If you're going to do something, you decide in the morning, you say, we're going to go out and we're going to make their world shit. Mm. And you go out there and you make their world 
shit. Mm. And don't forget, you've got to break them down. So uh, you might be an exception. You might have the world's smartest kit. It don't matter. You're going to fail the inspection. Mm. Um, sometimes we'd even come back in after we've beasted them and said, oh, recruit Smith, his kit was immaculate. Yeah, and you're saying, oh, I felt awful the fact that I had to beast him. <laughs> and you'd say like, um, you'd, say, <laughs> you'd say like, um, uh, because, or, or, or. That's a bit of a mental mind game, is it? Because they're, they're probably thinking. Uh, well, you, I, I remember, I remember, I can't remember the guy's name. I remember, um, so in, in my day, we had um, the weapon transitions went from, from one weapon system to another. And on this second weapon system, uh, there's parts of the weapon when it's fired can be really dirty and are very difficult to uh, clean. And I remember uh, we were doing a weapon inspection and uh, the sergeant at the time, brilliant guy, brilliant guy, uh, he's, uh, Steve, Steve Kimberley said, uh, we've got to go out, we've got to, uh, you know, they're, they're, not, they're not doing as well as they could do. We've got, we've got to punish them. So they're all going to fail. They're all going to, yeah, okay, fine. <laughs> so you went out to inspect them. And I remember a guy, I was looking at his weapon and his weapon was faultless. It was immaculate. It was just brilliant. And I remember looking at his bit of stuff and I said, I held it up to him and said, what's that on there? And he had a look, he said, nothing, Corporal. I said, yes, it is. It's covered in mud. He went, no, it's not. I said, it is. And he went, fair one. <laughs> <laughs> and, you, and then you get that and you throw it in the bush, go and get it oh. and, and get on the flank. And you just knew, he knew the routine. So just the way it was, you know, but I, I remember uh, it was good. So uh, the, these recruits, so when you took them all through their training and at the end of it, when they, when they passed the 30 miler, you knew they'd done it. Yeah. So then it was first name terms. Yeah. Then it was... Um, so it just transitioned. Then you'd have a little chat at times and they'd say, oh, do you remember when you did that? And I said, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I remember there was a, there was a guy called um, Burns. Um, if you want, you know, great, good lad. He did very well. A good northern lad. And I remember on the survival exercise, and that's the one you see where they have to have rabbits and all this, kill the rabbits and little white rabbits and all this. I didn't even know that, to be fair. Oh, that's horrible. That's horrendous. And uh, we went down... Is that one, still a thing? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's awful. And they give them deliberately white rabbits, little cute white rabbits. They've got to name it and keep it for a couple of days. And then you bring them into a clear and they've got to dispatch the rabbit, cook it and eat it. Wow. Same with chickens I as well. I never knew that. I never knew horrible. that. Because you, you're, you're low. Anyway, you're hungry... You're on a survival exercise, you're wet, you're cold, you're just in a, you're freezing cold. And I remember uh, I was teaching something and Burns was shaking like this. I said, what's up with you, Burns? He said, oh, I'm so hungry. I went, are you? And I went down to the riverbank and I picked up a big slab of stone, turned it over, and there was the world's biggest black slug. You know the big slugs that have the big breathing hole inside? Yeah. Horrible big oh, thing? yeah. And I picked it up, this thing here. I said, oh, Burns. I said, that's full of, I gave it, I said, that's full of goodness, that is. He goes, is it? I goes, yeah. He just went, oh. And, and you know, when it crunched, it all just squirted out. Yeah. And he was going like, looking at me going, this is shocking. And I'm just thinking, yeah, you know, crack it on. <laughs> and I remember years later, uh, not sort of years, at the end of training, I, I remember, um, I remember when I was in training, 
uh, a, a guy called Chris Young, Jinnah. I've just made contact with him, actually. He's up in uh, Brighouse. He was the guy that used to smoke, but very, very good at running. Yeah. And we're on the, the range. We have a range at um, Straight Point near Sandy Bay in Exmouth. And we fire out to the sea next to the holiday camps. Yeah. And we're out there one summer and we're doing the shooting when we were training back in 78. And uh, we'd come back to the range and we're patching out the targets. And he looks down like this and the corporal's coming towards us to check the targets. And he goes, Martin, what's that down there? And I look down and there's a dead uh, stoat. You know a stoat? No, what's a stoat? It's like a long rat with a big right. furry tail. It's, yeah. It looks like oh, a rat. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was a dead one down there. He says, for fuck's sake, get rid of it quick because I know what's going to happen. I'll try to push it out of the way. Bye. The corporal would come up and I'm thinking, please don't look at it. Please don't. Anyway, he's looking at patching out. He goes, he goes oh, what's that then? And we said, what's that? Oh, it's a, it's a stoat. And he turns around to Chris Young. He says, do you know, he says, full of goodness, a stoat. <laughs> and Chris Young looks at it like this. and goes, Really? And he goes, yeah, he said, uh, really tasty apparently. He goes, all right. <laughs> and he told him to pick up and take a bite out of it. And I remember I was watching like this, and I'll get you. Oh, I would never give that. So. I mean, so that's where you picked up from that old saying of full of goodness. And then you end up yeah, using it years later. Have with... the slug. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know it's not full of goodness. <laughs> no, it? just, uh, that is it. Yeah, so it just, it just, it just turns around. But you, you know, there's no, not going to die of food poisoning. And technically, you can eat anything really. Mm. Um, so it's just, just one of those things. Could you like develop relationships come the end with your. Yeah, so groups? guys, I took through training. Um, uh, um, I, you know, I love my Facebook. I, I'm in touch with quite a few. I don't speak to them on a regular basis, but they'll always wish me a happy birthday. I, likewise, I'll do them, and I watch how some of them have done really, really, really well. Most have left now. You know, I've you know I left in 1990, so that's what. Bloody hell, 22 years ago, isn't it? 20. Yeah. Yeah. So, so how long um, was you in, in there for then? 12 years. 12 years. Uh, uh, 12 years, yeah. Wow. 12 years. So, uh, you say your last role, and that was the was it PCR? So, my last role was um, uh, weapons instructor on the training team, yeah. So, I finished finished as a corporal, about to do my sergeants, but I, I decided not to and just um, applied for the police and got in and started nine months later. So, did you have to do nine months worth of training for that? Or? No, 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 not at all. I went and worked on a building site in Guildford. Really? Uh, with my brother, just to earn some money. Because I, I, I couldn't get unemployment benefit that was then uh, because I'd given up the, the Royal Marines. What was that process like of giving up at that time? Was it a case of literally just like... I, I, I just had to put my... Uh, you had to put 18 months notice in. It's quite a long time then. Yeah. Um, and to say that my intention is to leave in 18 months. Well, it, and they, they put you on courses to pay to go outside. So I was, I was allowed to go and do a course if I wanted to do a course. <clears throat> and you say, I don't know, I want to go and do this, I want to go do this, I want to do vehicle detailing, they put mm. you on a course and pay mm. you for it. I made some crap up, I said I was going to look after underprivileged kids, I just took the money and went on the piss. <laughs> <laughs> so, because I knew I was going in the police, oh, I've done and said that now. You stitched yourself, right? Yeah, right, well, but I did, that's, that's what happened. What's the money like, so as you progressed on and then you were doing the... Yeah, towards the end of it, you know, you're never going to be a millionaire, but it was all right. Um... Um, I'd bought my own house then, so I wasn't living. Um, was that local or? Yeah, in Exmouth. Yeah. Most 
most of the training teams all all lived 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 out. It's called living out because the, the whole terminology is about living on a boat. So the Royal Marines camp is your boat, but you live out. Right. Yeah. So yeah, bought a house and then uh, yeah, so went from there, and then of course uh, nine months later joined the police and just. I found it breeze. Was that for Devon and Cornwall, was it? Devon and Cornwall, Custavity, yeah, yeah. Based at Exeter. Did my training at a place called Sharp Marl in Dorset, which is now closed. All the local Southwest forces came to train together. Did that. Did my two years probation, which you've got to do. And I always wanted to do traffic because yeah. you've got nice cars. Yeah. Now, in, the, in those days, on traffic was um, little diesel, pa- diesel pandas with a one red... Um, Light on the top, diesel panel, bloody hell. <laughs> uh, but the big cars were the T5 Volvos, uh, Sierra Cosworths, uh, Sierra XR4Is. So you imagine coming out in the morning to the traffic centre and you've got a board of keys and you just go, I'll take that out, take that out. Was and it then, like that, was it? Mm. Yeah. And in those days, because you had to pass all your drive, you had to be an advanced driver. Which is quite a quite a difficult course, but once you've done that, that's it. You know, so police advanced driver, and you just go out. And literally, oh, I'll take the Cosi out, or I'll take the T5, or the Vauxhall three liter Amigas, or uh, and then we started to get the manual Range Rovers. <clears throat> so you could cool. literally just take out the car of your choice. That's and then cool. some guys opted to do a motorcycle course, take a motorbike out. Did you do that or just cars? No, not interested. Just bikes. cars. Yeah. Not at the time. I, I had motorbikes, but. I did want to do a motorbike course with the cars. That was that was my. Uh, it's mental thing. the range of cars back then that you could that was on. Well, you imagine choice. looking out and there's Cosworths. <laughs> mental. And in their day, that was that was that was the Ferrari of cars. You know, everyone, everyone, and the and then they brought out the XR4i, which had the big two whale fins on the back. Yeah. But the police, in their wisdom, said, "Oh, it looks a bit aggressive." They took the whale fins off the back, and of course. They were there for a reason mm. to keep the car on the road. Mm. So once they took the fins off, we wrote them off. <laughs> Bloody hell. But we had um, yeah some lovely cars then, and then we went into Volvos. It was Volvos good. Are bulletproof, aren't they? Bulletproof cars. The T fives, the T fives were just monstrous cars, just absolutely blistering. You know, good for one fifty, yeah. easy. And then um, so was you patrolling at that point? Yeah, like the streets and stuff so, like that. So so when you come out. <clears throat> you had to, you had to, um, so if you came out of your probation, you had to then do um, two years. So if you did your probation in the city, you then had to do two years in a rural station. Or if you'd done your two years in a rural station, vice versa. So the idea behind it is after your, your probation and after another two years, you would have done two years in both environments. Yeah. And, you know, I did my probation in Exeter, which was, if you can work Exeter, you can work anywhere. It's just... It's crazy. In, in those days... Uh, what year would this been? Early 90s? So this would have been early 90s, yeah, 1990, 1991. You had, uh, on a Saturday night or Friday night, uh, blimey, uh, 15 police officers, two inspectors, two sergeants, um, all those in their probation weren't allowed in a car, you had to walk. Right. Uh, all the cars were double crewed, uh, and you had two incident cars. So amongst each section, you had two cars which were double crewed Sierras, two little right. Sierras, 
and that was what you always aimed to do. That was the, they were like the, you've seen the bill, haven't you remember? Yeah, the bill? yeah. That was the one to get on, and I got onto that, and then obviously as a result of that, then I had to go out, after my probation, I had to go and work at a place called Seaton. Yeah. Have you seen Hot Fuzz? Yeah. I so, can imagine. So Hot Fuzz is exactly what Seaton was like. So I went from being <laughs> I love a, a massive well. thief, oh, one of my favourite films, <laughs> a massive thief taker to, to going out to Seaton. And I remember turning up at Seaton Police Station on the first day, ready to go. And the inspector, bless him, Mr. Cook, lovely man, was at the desk with his pipe and his slippers on. And uh, he sat me down. He said, oh, he, he, you know, he knew about me. He said, oh, Things are slightly different here, just like hot fuzz. <laughs> yeah. And I remember going down to the cells. The cells were just full of... They were collected for charity at the time. The cells were full of charity stuff. And I said, where do you put your prisoners? <laughs> oh, we don't have prisoners here, boy. And uh, <laughs> that all the officers would go home for dinner, uh, lunch, you know, leave their kit in the police station, drive over for dinner. <laughs> That's the way it was. Everyone did it. And then... Um, the polar opposite to what probably Exit was like. Exit was probably shocking. filled with people in the cells. Mm. It's mental. But I... I as uh, soon as you said seat and then, though, I was thinking, I can't imagine it to be that... But at the same time, coincidentally, at the same time I went to Seaton, a very, very good friend of mine, Matt Rocky, who I joined up with, went to Axminster. Right. So at night, we would join up together yeah. and we'd, we'd go around causing chaos, <laughs> nicking people all over the place because we were both the sort of similar... Uh, sort of mindset you know, yeah. going to get the baddies and there's a lot of baddies out there a lot of them, a lot of drink drivers getting away with it yeah um, was that a thing back then though like drink driving and stuff it massive, was massive but could you get like done for that mm. yeah you could mm. I didn't know what the laws and stuff you were just like set, we just set up on the A35 and then in them days I think we had the laws pubs close at 11 so I think driving after 11 give it a pull you're done mate so because uh, you know it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's the way it was um and of course, that main A35 route, you know, when you talk about cross-border crime, they all got down that road. Yeah. So we just sit up there and we, we just... What other sort of crimes were quite rife at that point then? Was was it mainly like your anti-social behaviour? Burglaries were Burglaries. massive. Yeah. Yeah, I do hear like on podcasts and stuff, I hear like stories of people, like burglary back in that time was like rife, wasn't it? Burglary was massive. Some of the biggest states, um, burglary was... Even like the banks and stuff, I suppose. Hey? You, even like the bank robbery. What, what, uh, what, what age was that? What year was that? Banks, Christ, that was back in the 60s. Oh, was it? So a long time ago, yeah. No, it was, it was more... What was the crimes? Public order, fighting outside discos. Because mm. out of the... Uh, at Seaton, you've got that nightclub. It's called... Um, something. There's always trouble outside there on a Saturday night. You're always outside nicking someone. But then, don't forget as well... You then got a mindset where if you nick someone, you've got to take them to Exeter as you've written off for the night. So mm. what, what you generally did is is sort of arrest them and de-arrest them to come into the police station when it's convenient to you. Yeah. So if someone's broken somebody else's nose or had a bit of a fight and you could deal with it, you sort of nick them, get them home and then deal with it three or four times. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But it was good, you met, met some lovely people out there, met, you know, with some really, really nice people. I had a chance to think about um, what you want to do, and that's when I decided I want to go on to um, firearms. Mm. And, you know, I had all those skills. And at the time, 
armed response vehicles were, were being talked about being um, started. So I applied for traffic, uh, got onto traffic, did my advanced driving course, passed that. So I'm an advanced driver, which is what you need to be on armed response vehicles. Then um, got onto the armed response vehicles and I was one of the first crews together with that started the armed response vehicles in um, in Devon and Cornwall. What was that process? How long was that process become like an advanced driver? So the advanced driver, you know, I'd, 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 six weeks, I think it is, something mm. like I can't remember exactly, but it's a very intensive, very stressful course. You know, you go out uh, in a car with um, two other students and an instructor, you go out in the morning, you don't come back till four o'clock in the afternoon, you're driving absolutely at the max. I can imagine. So we'd say, for example, uh, our routine would be to go to we're going to have lunch in Salisbury. So you set off from Exeter and you'd each take a, a part of that journey, either going or coming back. And the idea behind it is to treat every vehicle in front of you as a target. So you've got to safely overtake that vehicle. So you've got to, within reason, you know, your 30s and your 40s and your 50s stay within. In, but as soon as the old... Uh, unrestricted size you give it full monty give yeah. it full bollocks so when you're doing that all time and also you've got to give a commentary right so it's very it's very difficult at the best time to drive fast and safely when you see these programs it annoys me you see some of these police programs where um you'll have a pursuit going on i hate them calling it a chase not a chase it's a pursuit and where they say Oh, look, they're getting away. It's only because the police officer is driving fast, but safe. Anyone can drive like a dick. Yeah. Anyone can drive. I mean, you can yeah. nice cars. Yeah. Anyone can get in there and put your floor to the pedal, mm. you know. But I'm happy that I can go out and drive as fast, mm. but safely, which yeah. might mean I'm not taking the risks, you know. You know, how can driving through a town at 80 be safe? Mm. It isn't. And that's the difference. And that's why you, you tend to lose people that, are, that you're pursuing. So yeah, that's. Um, I decided to um, to do the firearm side of things. So I did my basic firearms course, which was I can't even remember how long that was now. But that's the difficult thing about basic firearms course. It's all pistol related. So although I'm very apt at, at, at weapons, and I found it easy, easy. If you're not used to firing a pistol. It's a very difficult thing because with a rifle, you know, when you're using a rifle, it's quite steady, isn't it? Yeah. But with a pistol, there's a lot of movement. Yeah. If you don't hold it correctly, it's very easy to miss. I can imagine, yeah. So the transition for some people wasn't, it's not good enough, so they were unsuccessful. But no, I did it. And uh, There's a lot of military background going into firearms. Lots. 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 They probably preferred that though, I can imagine. Um, no, I mean, the course was there. Um, you either passed the course or failed the course. A lot of military guys failed it. Again, because it's that transition. Yeah, 100%. Um, so a lot failed, but um, you just have to, to pass, the, uh, pass the assessments. So we did the basic firearms course, and initially, this was pre-armed response vehicles. All your weapons were kept in a police station. So you'd be, you'd be out doing your police, policing, but you're an authorised firearms officer. Yeah. If a job come in... You've got to go back. You've got to come back to the police station... The inspector opens it up, dusts off your gun and gives it to you, and then you go out and do your job. And then, um, and you never had things such as 
overt firearms. Um, it was always hidden away, always. Mm. And initially it was revolvers. Then we went on to Glocks, which, which by, by far, you know, fantastic, which are the automatic pistols. Yeah. But um, with, with the armed response vehicles, initially uh, we had to uh, do an assessment. It was decided Range Rovers. See, we had four litre manual Range Rovers, unmarked. Mm. And what we had is in, in the... Uh, That's in the original the, Range Rovers as yeah, well. Yeah, lovely. Yeah. Four, on, and they would have been on our plates, what was that, 96, 97? Yeah. So we had the, the four litre manual Range Rovers, which I will say were bulletproof. Mm. Never much went wrong with them. And we had um, a, comp a compartment built between the two seats where you had to put a key in to unlock it and your weapons were in. Nice. So the MP5s is what we had and the pistols were kept in there. And you did, you'd go out, your primary role was firearms, but you also a traffic officer. So if less a firearms job came in, you dealt with traffic, yeah. speeders, yeah. Uh, that sort of thing. What, what, what sort of jobs were they then that required firearms like for the, in that so the, period the of time? So the terminology is anybody who is armed or so dangerous that they cannot be physically restrained without the use of a firearm. So it would be someone who's got a weapon, someone who's got um, like a knife or, or can't, you know, that a normal police officer couldn't deal mm. with it. Because don't forget, this is pre-taser, pre-baton. Mm. Um, yeah. So, so these were actually fully, fully loaded guns then at this point. Yeah. Yeah, 20 rounds. Wow. 20 rounds. So you had uh, your Glocks, which is the pistol, with 20 rounds. You had uh, MP5, which is a 9mm, uh, not the, the, the machine gun, if you like, cracking bit of kit nine millimeter with extendable butts would come out and uh so that was slung across your chest and then you'd have your, your pistol in a holster and that was that and then then you'd have to get authorization or you could very rarely self-authorize which meant that you could go to a job and decide i've got to use my gun that's yeah. self-authorization but nine times out of ten you have to make a phone call to say can i get my guns out <laughs> wow yeah I know, it's all changed now and that, I suppose that wasn't a quick process either, was it? Back in them days to make a phone call to try and get authorization. No, I remember it's a not job. Like these days we get a radio. I, I I remember a job. He won't mind saying a guy called Nick Gunn, a very 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 good friend of mine, that was my um, crewmate for for a number of years. We worked really good together. It's good to work together. I remember we got called down from. We must have been up near Clumpton or something like that. Um, we heard a shout, get down to, um, um, I think it's Carrick Street or Exwick Lane. There's a pub down there. There's a bloke running around with knives trying to stab people. So he went skunking on down there. These four litre Range Rovers, we were thrashing it. I can imagine. Revolutionary. It got down there and we're trying to get authority. And I think we couldn't really get through on the radio. And, and in those days, body armour wasn't worn all the time, it was in the boot of the car. So if you went to a job, you had to stop, get your body on and get your guns out. And I remember we're going down there and um, I was driving and Nick Gunn was the passenger and we decided to arm ourselves. So while I'm driving at Warp Factor and whatever it was, Nick's leaning over, getting the guns out. And I remember to safely load a weapon, you've got to have somewhere to point it safely. 
So we used to have what's called a downloading bag, which is look, looks like a small carry bag, but it's, mm. it's, it's armoured. So you could point the weapon and say, if it went off, it wouldn't go anywhere. Right, it's safe. Yeah. And I remember Nick had this on the floor and had put my magazine on and racked it and then passed me the pistol and I had the pistol underneath here and then he's getting his pistol out and when we got there, we could see a, a, a couple of police cars stationary and a bloke was stabbing the windows with this knife trying to get in and the poor old uh, female police officer was screaming her, uh, uh, her voice off and by the time we got out to get our body armour out, he was upon us already and I remember, so if you look, it's just distance between that and the wall was what, about three metres. Mm. He was there. Wow. So we had no chance. So straight away, I pulled my weapon out. And I remember Nick's arm was on here behind me. We had no body arm on, didn't have time. And I just, I just remember saying to this bloke, you, you, you know, if you come in, you're going to die. If you come any forward, you, we're going to shoot you. Wow. And uh, he, he was, I don't know what it was. I can't remember at the time. And uh, I remember uh, that's the closest ever at that time I come, you got pressures. When you know your weapon that well, you know the pressures on the, on the finger. And I was right on that pressure there. Yeah, you were on right the borderline. Right yeah. If he'd have sister, he would have got it. And of course, Nick would have fired at the same time. But he saw, um, he sort of called our bluff. He said, oh, you wouldn't do it. I said, I, I will shoot you. I will shoot And he dropped his weapons down. It's mad that a fully loaded Guns, isn't it? Mm. And there's no messing around. Well, and also, nine times out of ten, your, your finger's always going to be safely across across it. Yeah. But I remember, I just squeezing it, I knew, just a little hair's breadth, and it would have gone off. Yeah. But I had it right right on him. We, but we had no no chance to put any body armour on. So it's completely, yeah, un, mm. unsafe, mm. basically. But it was exciting. Yeah, I can imagine. Exciting. Where was you, so was you trained to... Like it's needed shoot to kill, or would you? You never shoot. No, there's a there's a, there's there's this there's this there's this thing about you never shoot to kill. You shoot to uh, shoot to stop, and the only way to effectively do it is to shoot to the body mass. Right. So people say, "Oh, why don't you shoot the gun out of his hand? You try and shoot something out of someone's <laughs> hand, or why don't you shoot him in the legs? If you imagine like a tank, the best way to do it. If you imagine a tank." Right, a tank's got a turret on, isn't it? Yeah. So if you look at look, look at some of the videos coming out of Ukraine at the moment, so you, a tank goes along, it hits a mine, right? So it blows up, it blows the tracks, it can't move, but the gun can still move. Mm. So it's still a danger. Yeah. It's the same with a human being. So with a human being, the best way to, to stop a human being is to shoot towards the middle of the mess, the body mass. Unfortunately, that's where the major organs are. Yeah. And nine times out of 10, if you're going to shoot two rounds from a Glock into someone's body mass, there's a very high reality that person's going to die. Mm. Um, difference if you're a sniper, and I've seen videos on the internet where you've got a really good sniper, they could perhaps shoot something out of their hand. Uh, but no, when you're like that, you shoot to the centre of the mass. That's a good analogy, actually, with the tanks. Yeah. yeah, that's exactly yeah, what you shoot something in the leg, they still, they still, they might be harder for them to get up, but they still can get up if they've got a gun or a knife in their hand. Or well, whatever. during Vietnam, the Americans found they, they, without going into much technologies, they used a smaller round in their weapons. It was a 5.56 five, uh, round. And when it used to fire, it, it wasn't as effective as a big 7.62 round that we used to use. So they found, especially if someone has been drinking alcohol or taking some drugs, 
several times before they actually dropped. Mm. Uh, a nine millimeter round isn't a high velocity round. It's a man stopper, or sorry, a person stopper. But you know, <laughs> if someone's got um, thick clothing on, they might have body armor. Sometimes it might not penetrate. So you've mm. got to put two rounds in. Mm. You must have seen some mental things going from military then to the police and stuff. You must have some mad stories. It, it, you know, it, help, it helps. Uh, uh, and that's why I've written a book. Yeah. Didish. Yeah. But, um, you know, it's, when, I, when I'm teaching on the security, which I do at the moment, um, it's, it's nice. They're war stories and people, you know, people like to hear it. I like to tell it. Um, I love listening to stories. Well, it's, it's just... Um, but I love to hear about what stuff you do. It's horses for courses, yeah. isn't it? It's just it's what I'm used yeah. to, you know. Um, you know, I, I, I listen... Um, I went out for a meal last night with a group of people and, and there were some guys there talking about what they've done. And there was a guy there that um, was an organist. I know it sounds weird. But he, 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 his father has played the organ in Westminster Abbey. Now, to me... That's... Oh, mate. Amazing. Do, do you know what I mean? You know, I'm not into organs, but how how it's good, cool. how yeah, good is that? Cool. Yeah. And he might listen to me saying, "Oh, when I did this and that, say, oh, that's amazing.' Yeah, but what you've done is amazing. Yeah. It's what we've all done, isn't it? It's funny, isn't it? Because sometimes our own personal stories, we just think of it as just something that's happened in our life, but don't realise how interesting that can be to other people. Yeah, yeah. It's it's um because it's, it's an eye opener for a start. Like the stories that you you've said so far, like it's an eye opener for me. Whereas to you, it's just like your normal, just, yeah, that's the thing, it's normal. One work. of the reasons, uh, we mentioned the book, you know, uh, it's Cold Shot, it's being published at the moment, it should yeah, come so out in the new year. What's, what's the crap with this book then? Because so, I find this really interesting, So, actually. you know, uh, like you said, you know, got all these, got these stories and stuff like that. Well, it's, it's all well and good. My, my father uh, was an amazing storyteller. Uh, he, he had an amazing life. And... Um, he could he could hold an audience really well, and it's a shame because someone should have written it all down. Yeah, he should have read because it would have been a bestseller. You know, from 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 being a a confidant to a bloke, he's a hard man, had loads of fights, done this, done that, done some amazing things. All those memories are gone now. Yeah, the only memories he's got is what we remember him saying and what you can pass on. Yeah, but... and likewise, his brother who was wounded at Monte Cassino is one of the biggest battles of the Second World War. You know, was wounded, um, got shrapnel. And amazing what he used to say. And they, all these people have gone now. And so when I, when I say these things, I'd love to think, you know, you know, you know, when you're relaying these stories and you see people saying, it's interesting. I would love someone, years after I'm gone, I'm 61 now, years after I'm gone, to pick up something you know, and a book, oh, that's an interesting book. Oh my God, yeah, you know, not, 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 it's not about me, it's about these things that have happened, these things that go on. A lot of people see me, you know, big lumpy old lad, 61 with a grey beard, no hair, walking around. They ain't got a clue what I've done. They haven't got mm. a clue where I've seen, the things that I've seen. Mm. I've been all around the world. Yeah. I've seen and done amazing things, but I'm just a normal person yeah i look at people like at middleton i know what they've done yeah i know what they've seen and even when they're telling their stories 
unless you've got a like mind, you ain't got a clue what they've done. Mm. Um, like you can feel it, basically. You can feel yeah, it, yeah, see yeah. it. And I just thought, you know, and, and, and so my book is based on a couple of jobs that I've been to. So, <clears throat> and two seconds, you had this book in thought for a few years, didn't you? Was it a few years? So in, in this process? has been this has been going for about five years. Five so years. I had uh, one of the beauties about being retired. You got a lot of time on your hands. And it's, you can do so much DIY stuff like this. And I used to find sometimes I couldn't be asked. I just wanted to, but um, I don't even know what started it. Um, I just started uh, writing. I just wanted to start it. And a friend of mine who's, who's, who'd, had, I didn't know at the time, but had written a book, said, can I have a look at what you've written? And he looked at it. He said, Martin, he says, this is really good. Think about changing this. And he said, but, you know, keep going, keep going. So I started to keep going. So these people are all going to get thanks in my book. That's I'm, nice I'm, that you've I'm, had someone. Yeah, like nice Some people. people can be very, like, put you down or, like, stop you in your tracks before you've even started. Well, so if they nice, had, Charlie, if they had, done it? I, would have, I would have done it. I would have just knocked it on the head. Really? Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, but, but that's the thing, these, isn't it? These the, the people said, God, you know, I, and, 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 and so as a guy at work where I work, uh, uh, a friend of mine and uh, another person have all said, it, it, I didn't want to put the book down and that's what I'm after. That's perfect, so yeah. what I did was I, the character, although called Ruben, is me. Mm. So... When I'm writing it, it's based on one particular job that I went to, which was a really, really bad job, which is the one job I went to, which anybody asks me, what is the worst job? That's probably that, mm. where two people were executed and it was, it was bad. And we were, the, we were the first team there and it was, it was bad. But... <clears throat> There is, this is in the military, I think. No, this is the police. Oh, police, right. So this, but I can't go into details no, that's because fine. Um, I don't want it to conflict. With no, what it wouldn't. We're doing we, or... No, 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 it wouldn't conflict. But it's based on that, and why it's based on that is because the characters are all different. You couldn't look at that and say, "Well, that's that job." But what it does do is, Ruben and his team are me and my team. Oh, I'm not my team. I wasn't the leader. The team that I was a member of at the time, all those characters, they've got different names, but everything that they did and I felt and said what all happened at the time. So when we're making an assessment about something, that's exactly what happened at the time. Yeah. When we're talking about this, that's exactly what happened at the time. So hopefully people think, my God, is that what happens? Yeah. It is. Yeah. So, and that's all it is. And I, I've then changed what what the uh, what happened i've changed how it comes in but my character at the end at the end there's a twist of how the character deals with the people it's, mm. it's um yeah you can't, it, you can't share too much but... no i can't buy the book <laughs> yeah um, i'll get i'll give you a signed copy mate no i'd love and, that and uh, there there, that. there will be um there, it it leaves it at the end for a prequel to explain uh, how my character got to where he was. Yeah. And they, oh, also opens it to a sequel as well. So. Yeah. So you're but hoping the, to do a couple more maybe? Yeah, it's, it's hard work, but now I've, now I've, it's not, you know, I, I, I don't know, it might crash and burn, I don't know, but the publishers that I've uh, sent it to, first time. It's been fairly I, recent, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Three weeks ago, I sent yeah. it, I sent it. So I, I'd submitted it about two months ago, 
and uh, they, they said a generic one back, we get hundreds of, uh, of books. You will know one way or another within six weeks. I was advised that I'll probably be turned down 20 or 30 times, which is the average, because people don't want to so know. So you'll go through the process up to 30 times? It's the first said. time. So I, haven't, so I, I expected, so everyone said to me, self-publish, go to Amazon, do this, do this, yeah. do this. And I thought, no, I'd like the idea, but I like the idea of a real book. Yeah. Not, I don't want a, a Kindle book, I want a real book. Yeah. And so I thought, uh, if I send it to a publisher and they like it, fine. If they don't, I send it to the next one. I'll keep on going, you know, I've still got many years in me left, yeah. until sometimes someone's gonna say, yeah, you'll get one, yeah. yeah. But you, did you just say that it, on average? First one. Really? Yeah, so on average, I was told you'll Up be to... turned down maybe 20 times. Wow. And so then... each of them, don't forget, to assess your book, each time someone will take six or seven weeks to have a look at it. And so I sent it to this publisher, who's a, a big international publisher, and I had to write down, a, I sent my script, I sent my, uh, a bit about me and a bit about the book and my background. And they said, well, we'll be in touch within six weeks. And almost to the day, I got an email back and I, it opened up and I was literally covered it up as I was reading it like that. I did not want it to no. read it. <laughs> and it said, dear Martin, uh, thank you for your, uh, sub, um, your submission of cold shot. Next one down. As you know, we get loads of, oh, here we go. As you go. We'd like to say we loved your book. Like that. And it said, um, you know, it, it, it gripped us. We want to read more. That's the idea of it. And we'd like to offer you a contract. It's the first time I submitted it. That's amazing. So it's all gone off. It's with How did them. you feel? Do you feel proud? Yeah, I went up. I think I'd opened the email when my wife was still in bed. And I, I ran upstairs and said, Sarah, 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 look, look, I've been offered. She goes, really? Said, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. So I sent, I sent a message to the guys that, uh, that had helped me. And I'd always said that I would, um, I would include them. And yeah, it's going to. That's amazing. So what's the process for that now then? So they give you a time scale. So basically, I self-edit it myself, but it's always going to be never right. So what they do is they take it on board and they do everything. So I've had to submit a form saying how I'd like the, uh, what I want for the cover, what I want inside the cover, dedications, uh, a little bit about myself, do I want a photo? No, I don't want a photo of me, no. Um, and that sort of stuff. And then what they do is they will, they've got a number of editors that will keep, and I'll, I'll get bits back. Do you want to change this or that? And have you thought about this? They're the experts, let them do it. And then they'll, graphic designers will send me a uh, working picture. Do you like this? Do you not? Do you like this until I get yeah, what I want? Amazing. And it gets published. So, that, uh, so there's a time scale. It will be, in the worst case scenario, it'll be no more than 290 days. Right. So that takes into, that takes it, uh, into account, I suppose, really lengthy difficult books yeah so anytime it's yeah. with them now being done yeah. to speak and so it's down to you depending on how long it takes to design the covers and stuff like that what is a, a big investment into that or is it dependent so on... uh you can when you i didn't know about any of this but i did, I did, did my research when you submit a um uh, a book a, a script there's a number of ways they can do it. The two main ways are they just publish it. They either say, no, no thanks, or they publish it, or they might say, no thanks, but here's some advice. Yeah. Or go away and do this. So the two main ways are, that, yes, they'll, they'll take it all on board and do everything, but they'll also do what's called hybrid. And what hybrid is, they'll say to you, 
you're a first time author, we love what you're doing, um, but us loving it doesn't mean it's gonna be a big seller. So you've got to contribute a little bit towards it. They, they name an amount, mm. it's not a lot, uh, and that just covers some of their costs. Like startup price or something like that? Uh, no, no it, it's, one, it's one amount. Um, so I'd spoken to other authors that had done this. It's a genuine thing. Yeah. It just really offsets. They're not going to throw all their money into something that might not work. Fair. So they ask you to put a certain amount of money. You've got to agree to it. And with that, you get everything. You get, it lays out a contract, percentages of what you got of each of the book. You, uh, it says you'll get ace for the first 5,000 books. You get a percentage, which is X amount. Yeah. Then for everything thereafter, it then goes up. For royalties to films, royalties to television, it all lays it all out. You just got to sign it. That's it. But the good thing about it is, excuse me, you can either do it incrementally. So if you can't afford to pay the full sum, you could do it over a period of 10 months. Yeah. But the book isn't published until you've paid it all. Right, fair. Or you can pay it all in one hit. And when the book's done, it just gets published straight out. So I did the whole lot. It's amazing to think where that opportunity could take you. Well, do you know, mate? It's, it's I don't I don't for one minute think I'm I'm uh, some fancy writer. I enjoyed it, and and the, the the reason it took so long is I lost my mojo. I was really keen at first, smashed it to bits, and then I was. I couldn't do it, you know. Just life didn't want takes to do over it. a bit mm. as well, doesn't it? That's the other problem. And we talk about your businesses early on. Sometimes, um, I, I, am I doing it for money? Yeah. Uh, no, I'm not. There is, you know, if it goes well, there is money there. It's never yeah. going to, you're never going to change your life, but there is money. But what it does do, if I find I'm good at it, mm. I can, I can put everything to one side. And say that's what I'm going to do. Because once you've done one, then you can do the rest. I've got, I've got a locker full of stuff that I've done. That you could you could base base it on, uh, um, and who knows? I could then do, I don't know, something different. I, I don't know, but that's what I want to do, and I'm I'm chuffed because someone will get to read it. Yeah, you know, yeah, it's amazing. If only yeah. if only I just did five thousand books and they all sold, five thousand people will read it and say, I like it or I don't like it. Hopefully they will. Yeah, I'm sure they will. Have you got a target in mind then, or are you in the mindset of just like, if one person reads it, then it's great, or, or have you got like a figure in mind again, I'd love... I want to make sure that the money that I put into it, I don't lose anything. Mm. And it's not a lot of money, so I'm sure it'll be fine. Yeah. And if, if you know, and, and, and apparently you get, you'll get royalties every like three months or six months, it'd be nice that every six months, bosh, that's nice, yeah. bosh, that's yeah. nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, Somebody even jumped and said, I've just read your book, Martin. Do you want to come have a little chat? We might want to yeah. do something like that. That would be my job. Yeah, 100%. Because you don't know where these opportunities could take you. And this all is the these, thing all, all these things you see on television, they all start somewhere, don't exactly. they? Exactly, yeah. And I, I was thinking then, like, I'd love to see you on like, even more podcasts. Like, there's a podcast with um, this guy called James English. I don't know if you've seen anything of him. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, called yeah, Anything yeah. That Goes with James yeah. I'd love to see you on yeah. that one. Because well, he talks to like, people like yourself. And um, all sorts of different people. Well, do you know what? It's it's it's, it's like you know we, t- we spoke briefly. But, you know, all, all my all my kids are doing well in what they, what they choose to do. Yeah. And they, it's all different. You know, you know, the two of two have got uh, my first two grandchildren, and they're going there. What they want to do. You've got Molly who's doing um, 
uh, you've got one that's doing the hairdressing, that's what she wants to do. And you've got Harry that's doing the, um, doing the, uh, the, the, the music. But see, now Harry's started doing that, for example, he likes, there's, there's a guy, there's a guy that used to be a DJ or a rapper and now does a programme, a cookery programme. He's got his mates on it as well. He's on a Saturday, what's he called? Oh, the big, the big, big, big nasty. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So look at him. Yeah, exactly. Look at him. Yeah. Over a period of 18 months, two years, he's gone from being a rapper. He's got his own TV. He's on everything now. Yeah, and what thing. he's brought with him is his two mates that used to run his local yeah. Greek takeaway. Yeah, I can't remember and who the other two guys are, but I know who you mean. Mate, yeah. and they've got their own pod shows yeah, now. Yeah, exactly. So, it's amazing where like these opportunities with, especially through social media and stuff, where it can take you. Like obviously with your son Harry, isn't it? Where like his music can take him with the stuff that he's doing, and the good thing as well, he's in London, so so much more opportunity in places. Well, like he that. chose to go to London because of his. But here, yeah, see, 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 this is where it all links in. You love your cars. Yeah. Harry loves his cars. Harry will always say to me, uh, "Dad, you know, I'd love to buy you a nice motor. So if I get a nice motor, well, I'm going to take that motor. I'm going to take it to you. Yeah. There's going to be a time where he'll want some sort of input about something to do that you can do. So I'll give you a shout. Yeah. You know, like when he comes down, I want to get you guys together. He'll make a great podcast. Yeah, 100%. Because he's going places. Yeah, you know? and he's at the and start of that as well. Yeah. yeah. So if you do a podcast of that, yeah. that then brings you, so it can help everybody. Yeah. I'll just give you a, give you an example about, um, about um, one thing I would say to anybody. You know, honestly, I, you know, I listened to the podcast he did before. He, what he's done, amazing things. I will say to anybody, you know, so I'm 61 and my mind is going 24-7. Yeah. It's always looking for stuff, always looking for something that, that will, that, that not just, not just, um, you have all, you have, it's amazing the skills that you've got, Tal. Yeah. Right? And it'll be a shame, wouldn't it, of not pursuing what you want to do. If you pursue something, it don't work, it don't matter. Mm. Because you've tried it, yeah. it's worked or it hasn't worked, but at least you say. So I say to her, and I'll give you a perfect example, right? This is the best example. I use this when I speak to people. When I was on the full-time firearms team, once a year, all the teams would get together for an update. And I remember one year, this was pre when terrorism was really, really, really bad. This, it was happening, but it wasn't as bad. We had, I was part of a full-time hostage rescue, full-time firearms mm. team. Best job in the world. <laughs> and uh, so there were, there were three teams. One of us uh, based in Exeter, one based in Bodmin, and one based up in uh, North Devon. Three teams. The best of the best. Train, train, all the Gucci yeah. gear, absolutely dog's bollocks. So we're all together and we're, we're having a briefing about things and where it's going and all this stuff. And at the end of the meeting, uh, the boss turned around and said, oh, by the way, guys, I'm looking for volunteers that would like to go away to do a course and learn about explosives. And I remember people saying, oh, come on, I want to get them just disappearing. And I'm thinking, why are they asking about that? And I just thought, yeah, I'll have a go at yeah, that. Yeah, And two of us put our hands up. So everyone left the classroom, uh, the briefing room, and the boss said, right. he said, I'm surprised, I need two volunteers. Yeah, well, there you go. He said, yeah, okay, what you're going to do is 
all paid for, you're going to go away, you're going to go away to the Royal Military School of Science yeah. and study explosives and an explosives course. <laughs> so, short time later, me and Tom went down, uh, went to, I think it was in Wiltshire, the Royal Military School of Science, uh, in a lecture room with a professor from day one learning about explosives, how it works, how you do blah, 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 blah. At the end of that, we went, went to Betty's Coed in Wales, mm. stayed in a hotel and went to a huge complex there and learnt how to blow things up. Now you imagine, if you're in that couple of, you imagine, imagine, right, you go to uh, the range in the morning and there's a big wooden table and it's just full of explosives. And over there you've got all the tools you would want, DeWalt tools, you've got all the woodwork and they've built a house a framework of a house. So it's a house, but it's got no windows in it, but all the apertures are there. Yeah. And they'll say, Talon Martin, you need to build a frame charge for the top floor window. So you go away all day and you build a framework up, blah, 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 put explosives on, and you're, you, the aim is you, you to blow that window out. Yeah. Get paid to do that. <laughs> so I came away with a certificate, an international certificate to train all around the world to train that. I came back to Devon and Cornwall Police. That's mental. So I always say to people, when you, when you think the course might not be something, if it's free, do it. Just do it, yeah. And I think we think the younger that you are, like some people think, oh, I, I, to be fair actually, people think the older you get, the less chance and stuff that you've got. But that sort of stuff you should still do regardless of your age and stuff. Doesn't but matter. I think as a young person or a younger person, you should just be like a sponge. Try and take in as much as possible. These little free things that come up, little courses, just do it. Ask yourself as well, little courses, is, 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 you know, I'll say to people as well, so like, you, you see them bouncing around, first aid courses. Do the first aid course, yeah. paediatric first aid. First aid for kids. You'll never know. Exactly. You'll never know. Well, you'll be somewhere, you could be at Creedy Park with your family yeah. and your kids and someone has an accident, a child, you can go in and save someone's life because you've done a free course. First aid training, yeah. You always see stories like that of people like having an accident or something, first aiders come over and you, you sometimes stand there and think, if that was me, I'd have, fuck, I don't know, fuck all because I've never done that. But you don't know where these little things will benefit you your know, life. I say to people at home sometimes, you know, if you come into the room one day, and someone's there shaking on the ground, grabbing all the cable, what do you do? It's electric shock, isn't it? Yeah. What do you do? And people don't know that. Oh, yeah. I'll go and grab it. No, you don't go and exactly, grab it. Exactly, yeah. And it, likewise, right, you know, with young children, you know, if a young child, unfortunately, is in a position where they drown, never give up. The child has a natural reflex. When they go into cold water, the throat stops water from getting into the lungs, so they appear like they're dead, but, they actually, but they're not. There's life left in them. Keep going. Yeah. It's, ama it's amazing, isn't it? Like these little things that you can. Some people just don't choose to do them. Don't want to put themselves. Some people don't want to put themselves in a position to be doing that sort of stuff. Just having a just you know, you know, a, a while ago, um, my daughter Molly um, had gone to bed. She wasn't feeling very well, quite poorly. And we thought it was COVID. We tested her, and she hadn't. She'd gone to bed. And I went up about an hour later, and my wife said, "Just go and check on Molly." And as I went up and poked my head in the bedroom, I could hear a funny noise. And when I went in, she was struggling to breathe. And what she'd done, she'd got some sort of, uh, it turned out she had a, uh, an infection. But anyway, she had the shivers and that. So she'd wrapped herself up tightly up in a blanket, was getting too hot and was getting overexcited. So I tried to unwrap her, opened the window to get some fresh air and she just stopped breathing. Out she went, Bloody fell back on the bed. Hell. 
so no breathing at all, starting to go all out. So I started compressions. Yeah. But the problem was, her bed's quite bouncy. So as I was doing compressions, it was yeah. bouncing away. Yeah. And I just decided, because she'd just gone then, is I really hard, slapped her three times or so around the face, mm. and it brought her back, and it saved her life. That's you probably so much more controlled than what an average well, person was as well. Well, I shout and call, call, you know, call. Yes, yeah, it is. It just, just because you, you just know you've got to put things. And again, it's things that you know, you know, that springs into mind. Because if you start panicking, then that's when you, yeah, you, that's you know you're a man or beast. It's like anything. Like someone could be, you could be drowning. As soon as you start panicking, that's it. Your chances you've got, are. You've got to think. Yeah. Because. We have a, uh, two parts of our, when I teach security, there's two parts of our brain, the rational and the emotional. And what, what the Royal Marines and the uh, firearms have taught me is that very often you've got to blank out the emotion. Mm. It's, it's, it's it, it switch on. You know, everyone that you hear this about switching on. So deal with what you've got in mind. The emotion can wait, that'll come. You've got, especially when it comes to members of your family, you can't afford to stand there screaming you've got to get in there mm. sort it all out because if you don't laser focus yeah 100%. so you t touched on there about the security training and stuff that's yeah. what you're up to now is it still yeah that so i so uh once a month i teach people that want to embark on they used to call them bouncers you don't call them bouncers door supervisors so it's a week-long course i also do uh security guards i do cctv and uh, people that want to hold a personal license. So if you want to um, manage a pub or run a pub, yeah. I do those courses as well. That's pretty cool. So you do that one, one, once a month, you say, for a week? Once a month for a week. And then I've got my fingers, some other, I do some other bits and pieces. So I've just, just managed to... Um, we talk about... Uh, um, again, it's not because of anything. It just happens to grab the bull by the horns. So I'm on a bootnet website where fellow bootnecks look for other bootnecks to do work. Yeah. Bootnecks are good workers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I saw a post come up where a guy says, um, I'm looking for someone that can teach conflict management. And I happen to be doing my book, actually. Yeah. And this thing come up. So I sent him a message back, yeah, I can do conflict management. He said, yeah, give me a bell. So I dropped him a line and he said, uh, I work for a large company and uh, we employ a lot of staff, a lot uh, in the role that we do, we need to teach conflict management because of their interaction with members of the public. Can you put something together? So I put something together and I've got the contract. That's so okay. January 23rd, I start off in London. Now, it would be easy, wouldn't it, to say, oh, do you know what, do I want all that? You never know what doors That's open. That's the thing. It's the people that you meet, the opportunities that you get out one, of that. One million percent. And it, you might meet someone on that course you might you might be at a venue. You don't know what it is. It always opens doors. Hundred percent. Not necessarily just for you, but it might be say, like you know, you. I always, I always, I'm always an advocate of if you know someone that provides a good service, if you can put somebody somewhere, you know, like imagine. You know, I, I love it. I love doing that. You know, imagine going somewhere. Like I got to this venue, and the big boss turns up, and he turns up in his SVR Range Rover. And we're chatting away. I said, oh, it's a lovely car, this. Yeah, he said, I've got two of these. It's a bugger to keep clean. Boom. Yeah. All little things like that. Yeah. I know someone. Yeah. You know, here's his number. Next thing you know. Yeah. And it, you just don't know, do you? I, lo I love stuff like that. I think that's one of the best things that I've got out of having my own business is the people that you meet and, like, 
the opportunities you can give other people and stuff well, like Tal, that. Well, look where meeting. you've gone. Yeah. You've gone from, 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 from down there, you know, and you've got these things about this, you know, chase up the social media. Yeah. You know, your detailing is good. You know, if your detailing wasn't that good, you wouldn't have people with hundreds of thousands of pounds worth of cars saying, come and clean my car. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Yeah. I, I had a situation recently, so on Friday, I've just been up to this car showroom. Sure, yeah. And um, that was literally an opportunity from a customer saying he lives in Exeter, but he owns that showroom is in Wiltshire. And he said, oh, do you want to come up to Wiltshire to do this car like in return for some social media stuff? Probably the average Joe would probably be like, I'm not travelling two hours away to do it. But I was like, do you know what? I'll go and do it. It's a whole day. I've got to be up at 4.30. I won't get back till nine, but I'll do it. Sometimes as well, you've got to take a hit financially. Yeah, 100%. So yeah, that's you, very true. You, yeah. you, you, might, you might say, Dan, it's weighing on me. 60 quid in diesel. I'm having some grub. What am I getting out of it? You never know what you're going to get exactly. out of it. And also, sometimes you can do something, and there might be not there might be not something um, immediately, and then a year, eighteen months down the line, you get a bell, a little text from someone saying, yeah. "Oh, Mark, are you still doing this?" Yeah, I am. Oh, can you do? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, it's don't be greedy. Never things. be greedy. That's true. Never be yeah. greedy. That that is very true, actually. And it, I definitely think it's who you, who you end up meeting, and what rather than what you know, it's about who you know. Sometimes. Our world here, I'll tell you now. There's there's you know, what were the things we've talked about pre-interview and, 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 and during the chat? There's so many avenues there. You never know. You never know. You know, and what if, what if, you know, for whatever reason, you know, I, I make it, you know, I make it and I'll have my nice motors. And where are my nice motors going to be? They're going to be down here being cleaned yeah, by you. Yeah, definitely. You know, and then, of course, when you get in these circles, you mix in circles with people like-minded. Exactly, yeah. And that's the, the, one of the reasons I want to do this podcast is to be able to, like, connect with the people that have got the same sort of mindset. Because like, I think some people probably see me sat down having these conversations going, it's, does he want to have them sort of conversations? But these are the conversations that I want to be having. See, but it's not always a conversation that you can have with other people you know, sometimes. And if you go ahead and you, you get this sorted out, it goes, it goes out, you know, I'll bung it on all the, the outlets and share it. And I've got quite a big uh, base of people. Yeah, I can imagine um, you know a lot of people. Yeah. But there's people I know that that will be good for this, for good for you. I know some yeah, people I love that. that would sit down here, some real yeah. eye openers. Yeah, I'd love that. Know? And I, I, want, I want to see you on some more podcasts. I'm going to try and reach out to James English and see if you can get onto one of his podcasts. Can you do that? I could try. I don't know. It's worth putting it out there, especially because you've got the book that's in publishing stuff. Well, do you know what, mate? That could be. I'd another, love to that, see you that, on that, more podcasts. That, that, that could be that could be uh, another one for for, for us to, to 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 smash that out, and I'll pay you for that. What's that for? To 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 do something similar about my book, I'll give you money for that, mate. Yeah, of course, you know, do a little like sponsored yeah. type thing. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Because I, I want to see where you can go out of this, and we'll see. It's, it's we? nice for you to be on that like sort of wave as well, and knowing that what opportunities can can be out there. Because I think sometimes with people local to us, they don't realise the doors through social media that can be opened. Do you find that? What for being down here? Like people in the South Wales. Like I speak well, to some people and talk to them about social media, and they're like, ah. Oh, what are you on social media for? Well, I'll, t- I'll, t- I'll tell you now. I'll tell you now. There's more and more talent for lots of things coming out of the southwest now. When you look at um, Ed Sheeran, when you look at that chef Tom Kerridge and people like that, these are people that you know Bristol and places like that. You know, who would have thought about it? You know, if my son makes it well, you know, part of the reason that his management have took him on, he's from the southwest. He's a white guy. He sounds like he's not white when mm. he sings. He's a very talented, he's got a good gift. But then they like it. They say to him, don't change. Mm. 
And then so when Harry chose about um, where he wants to go, he wants to be in London. Why? Because that's where it all is. Yeah. But he won't forget his roots. That's the thing, yeah. You know, like like Moles, uh, my daughter, who's doing the hairdressing. Like Tony and Guy, brilliant people to work for, based all around. Of course, it would be natural to say, go to London because that's where it is. I don't, don't, but also look at what's down here as well. Yeah, that's the thing, yeah. You know, people are investing down here. Yeah. And there's lots of money investing down here. Yeah, I can get a bit sidetracked by that sometimes because I always think that London's where the opportunity is. But sometimes there's opportunity everywhere. It's just about seizing that. Although I, there probably would be more doors open in London, there's still see, a lot down in the southwest. See, do you know? I look at I look at your business, you know, and, and you, you might say, "Oh, you know, Mark, what could you do?" Do you know what? Every Tuesday is the is the supercar drive up in London. Mm. You go up to Chelsea, get loads of cards printed off, yeah, and just and just put them under the windscreen wipers. Yeah, yeah. But I'm not in Chelsea though. Hey, I'm not in Chelsea though. Harry is. Yeah, true. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I'd love to go and do a detailing day in London. Well, do you know like what? That. You just got to. I'm telling you what to do. Now, <laughs> yeah. That's that's how I think. I think you know, you, you know, if you if you if you've got a, you know, there's these groups of people that film these cars every Tuesday. It's Tuesdays, and especially when the summer and all the Arabs here, they all just drive around London, and all you need to, and they up there filming you know, them and yeah. put them on there. Just or what you do. Is you click into one of these guys that are doing all this filming yeah. and send them a box of cards up and say, Do you yeah. mind just whacking them on the Whack windows? Yeah. And then another door opens and you just don't know where it goes. Do you see one door, don't you? Yeah. I'll be speaking to your boy then and getting him to dish out a few business cards. Yeah. Right, happy with that? Happy I'm really mate. happy with yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, are you thanks sure? for coming on. Yeah, spot on, mate. I really it's appreciate the conversation. Yeah. Thanks that. for coming on and talking about everything and best of luck with the book. Oh, yeah, couple of things, yeah. yeah, you've still got a long drive back now. It's not, it's half an hour, isn't it? It's oh, not too bad. I've got my, my mother-in-law before she went to London today to cook me a nice big curry. Oh, lovely stuff. Tell, mate, mate got to keep in touch because uh, it's been really, really good, yeah, mate. Yeah, spot on. Look forward and, to seeing uh, the progress of you. Hopefully you can get on a few more podcasts and hope the book goes well. Yeah, thank you spot very much, on. mate. Yeah, cool. thank you. Right, I really hope you've enjoyed episode two of Talisley Talks with Martin Matthews. He tells some amazing stories in that podcast. It was really great to have the opportunity to sit down with him and discuss his journey over the years. If you like watching or like listening to this, please make sure you give the podcast a like. Make sure that you follow or subscribe on any of the channels that you're watching or listening to this on. And please, please, please let me know who you'd like to see next. If there's anyone that you'd like to see on the podcast, please comment and tag them down below. And hopefully some point in the future, I can look at doing a podcast with them. Make sure that you find Martin on all of his channels. I'll link his channels down below. So whether that be Facebook, Instagram, or TikTok. And hopefully if you're interested in buying his book, I can release some more information on that as it comes. Once again, big thanks to Martin for coming down and for featuring on the podcast. It was really great to sit down and listen to Martin's story. I've learned a lot from him today and I'm sure you guys have too. Thanks for listening, thanks for watching and I'll see you on the next one.